Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Growth Mind State. Uh, we're talking to educated people and trying to get the most relevant events of this week in here and different perspectives. So today we have Richard and we have Robert, of course. So if everybody wants to introduce themselves real quick. Hello. Um, go ahead, Rich. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to? Yeah, <laughs> sure. So, yeah. Um... So basically, I'm a, a mixed media artist uh, out of Philadelphia. Um, I, you know, have basically been, um, well, kind of, I've been working in traditional materials over the past, let's say, 10 years, doing more kind of hands-on drawing and painting uh, work. But I started out as um, a, a, a photographer, actually. Um, I studied uh, photography at uh, the School of Visual Arts uh, New York and um, I kind of started out that way and then moved on to um, 3D art, uh, kind of optic stereo art. So um, one of the things that I, um, that I make um, are lenticular prints and that's just a fancy name for prints that kind of create an optical depth or the illusion of depth. You've seen them a thousand times, uh, kids' toys and, 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 and uh, postcards. Um, you, you'll walk past an image and it will appear to morph from one image into another. Um, it's just basically kind of an optical effect. And so that's kind of what I started doing in graduate school. Um, and uh, I went to uh, school in uh, Massachusetts and Leslie University. Um, and so a lot of my work was heavily politically based. Um, and so you can see a lot of different images here, um, just kind of based on current events and political theory and global mechanics and history. Um, and so all of this work was, was kind of uh, created through that lenticular process. Um, so, you know, these different kind of objects move and, 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 um, flip, we call it a flip from one object to another. Uh, and it's all done with optics. Uh, so if you would were to kind of touch one of these pieces, if you were to rub your hand, let's say across the front, and like I said, I'm sure that some, many of you are familiar with this process, you'd feel ridges, you'd feel kind of what feel like little, um, kind of indentations, uh, kind of ridges along the, the front of the image. Those are actually lenses. Um, each one of those ridges are actually called lenticules and they create that, that kind of optical effect when kind of, um, matched up with a number of other factors. So that's what I was doing for, What's that? It's glass. It's like a glass, or, or like we said. No, uh, no. It's a it's a pet G. It's a it's kind of like a, an acrylic kind of poly a polyester kind of extrusion. So it's like a plastic. Oh. Um and um and it's what basically what it's got is it's got an optically clear adhesive carrier underneath the we call just the the the, the raw material lens just as a general term. Um, and you just kind of, uh, you have a manipulated file that's been kind of chopped up and reconstituted in software. And um, if you've aligned all of this right, and if you've manipulated the files correctly and used the registration marks correctly, you'll get a, a, a fully functional kind of lenticular print. Assuming that the person that's viewing has um, normally functioning binocular vision meaning that they have depth perception. Nice, nice, nice. 
I was going to add, I mean, this actually goes in with some of the automation. We're going to talk about technology and automation today. So I mm. actually believe that software is a big part of that. And I wonder what software you're end up getting roped into. Did you get roped into the Adobe suite or did you end up with something else? So I've always been roped in <laughs> ever, ever, ever since yeah. like, the, you know, when I, I mean, when I, when I first, so when I, uh, so I'm 43. So when I first started um, at School of Visual Arts, digital was kind of in its infancy. Um, so we were doing a lot of traditional photography in dark rooms and uh, traditional photo labs, but we were also starting to use the early versions of Photoshop. So like this was back when people had SideQuest discs and these big clunky kind of half technology things like the eight tracks of, you know, like whatever uh, data. Um, and, and so, so we would just kind of start manipulating with that. I do manipulate my files today with Photoshop. I've got a very, just a basic, super basic setup. It's like that photographer's package. that's kind of cheap and I do what I have to do, but there is a, a secondary program and any lenticular printmaker needs, uh, supposedly you can do it with Photoshop, but I don't really know how, but, but most lenticular printmakers use a separate piece of software um, that creates interlaced files. Um, so uh -huh. basically, when you see these, these graphics that kind of morph and switch and all this thing that all these things that go on, it's basically taking a number of frames, still frames, um, kind of manipulated in different ways, um, you know, meaning I don't want to get too technical because it gets a little crazy, but it's, you know, kind of shifting one way to the left, to the right for parallax, for depth, let's say, and then kind of creating different. Um, so like, say if I was going to flip from one image to another, this is a very basic concept. If you have 12 images in your interlace, you have six images of the hand open, six images of the hand closed. You chop those guys up. Re reweave them together, inter interlace them together. And as long as everything is manually aligned correctly, once you create the print, you'll get that movement. You'll get a flip from one image to the other. So my software that I use is called Power Illusion. And it's a software that you wouldn't have unless you were a lenticular printmaker, but it's that's the name of it. Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I was going to say that like, I do some stacking in my photography, but I only do it in camera. So it's interesting to see it from a post-production kind of standpoint. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the thing about stereoscopy, I guess we'll call it like, you know, the, the stereo arts is there's so many different approaches to it. There were so many different people use cameras where there's um, so I have a, fr uh, a friend, a very pretty well-known lenticular printmaker in that small circle, uh, taught me the process. His name's Chris Dean. And Chris uh, is a good friend of mine as well. He, for a while, was using a multi-camera setup where he actually had kind of a rig with like six cameras on a rail that were uh, synchronized. And then he would take those images, interlace them, and he was able to make 3D photos on the spot. Some people actually use a single camera with incremental movements where they move from left to right. That's another way of doing it. All of these things are obviously limited you know, in terms of what your subject is. So multi-lenses, the old classic setup is just two stereo lenses side by side, right? So multi-lenses are good for capturing action that's actually happening. 
but the rail was more like, you know, I guess for like still lives. I don't use optics at all. I don't use a camera at all. Mm. I create, I take elements that are completely in a virtual environment, whether it's something I've drawn and, and imported in some way or something I've created digitally. And I just move those elements in increments across like a zero plane. You know, so it's a, sorry for my, my, you know, my sign language, but it's just, it's easy sometimes to show, show that way. Um, but, but, but yeah, so, I mean, there's so many kind of, you know, ways you can approach that. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. That's what's going to make That's you uh, unique and your art lasts longer. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's amazing because lenticular, like 3D and stereoscopy has a pretty extensive history. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, when you talk about the history of art and optics, you know, um, there are ways to do this where, um, you know, painters would paint what, what were called barrier screens and they would paint little lines on the uh, images, the paintings that they were making. And all that did was kind of like disrupt the viewer's binocular vision and kind of make us reactivate our biology. So there, there, are, there are different ways to, to kind of, and I, and I certainly don't claim to know, uh, to be, you know, a master of every one. I mean, there's a lot of different approaches to this, but I mean, basically, you know, what it's about is kind of this temporary disruption where your, your body has to kind of refocus its, its, its depth perception. And so like, you know, we're, we're, we're human beings, right? So we have these overlapping fields of view. So we get that depth perception. That's what's important to us biologically. So like a fish, for instance, doesn't have depth perception. A fish has these wide 180 eyes that, that, you know, that serve it in a different way. A fish can see a predator coming from behind and, and, you know, it has that, that view. We hopefully are, you know, can be less, <laughs> you know, less, less um, aware of that and kind of not necessarily see behind our heads, but have a really kind of well-defined, okay, so this screen is a foot away from me and this object is six inches away from me and so on. So it's about biology, basically, reactivating that biology. Nice. We are a product of our evolution. And I, that would, that's a great showing of that because you're, you're really, it does matter how you auditorily and how you visually see, like feel something. Um, like your auditory function can actually tell you if there's a predator behind you, basically, because it's, it's in reinforcing that you understand space and distance between things. So it's just interesting that, um, I mean, what we're going to get in this discussion when it turns to robots, because there's something that I always like to say, a robot can't, uh, a technology can't give you an apology. When something goes wrong, technology cannot apologize to you, which is a, is a function of how we work as humans. It's a biological instinct to almost expect uh, catharsis from mm -hmm. a situation. Um, well, it's, it's you want to get into this, Robert? Or, uh, go ahead. All, no, I, please, all go I just want to do is... is um welcome my cousin as you can see he's got the same last yes. name um you know from my father's side um to the show you know I'm, I'm happy he was able to make it and so far everything seems to be running smoothly with the with the show i'm happy i'm very happy you know it's, it's good seeing him i haven't seen him in a long time and it's good to see that everybody's healthy and doing what they have to do in this crazy environment so that that's my biggest thing about today i'm just excited about that anyway uh, cool. <laughs> yeah 
it's good to be here. It's good to be part of this. And, um, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm kind of in one of the rooms of my, my studio here. So like, it, I'm not in my garage. I just wanted to let you know, I got, I got my garage shelves back there where I store all my stuff. And, um, you could you know, see a little something going on back there as far as artwork is concerned. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to kind of be a part of this and, and uh, talk these things out. It sounds fun. Appreciate it. So we're ready to talk about robots? Or yeah, you wait, no problem. Sure. You had something more to say. Uh, no, you had something more to say. No, 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 I'm good. You know, uh, we could talk about robots if you want. You know, I'm not I mean, big I, I feel like robots like and automation technology. fall into this. Be- yeah, because it's technology. I love technology. Really... I love technology. My problem is, is that when it, it does things to um, make it more difficult for the human race, I feel like we're becoming obsolete. That's, that's what's scary. <laughs> Other than that, I love technology. <laughs> Go ahead. In a way, we're going to talk about it if we're in a like a dystopian kind of situation or if we're basically just it's the future and you can't stop the future. Um, But we need to at least acknowledge it. And, you know, we could talk. We're probably will talk in length about how there should be a stimulus for people at this point. And that could that's the easy political topic topic to talk about when it comes to automation and technology taking over jobs. But I wanted to be even a little bit more specific because. Uh, we'll start with this robots on the rise as Americans experience record job losses amid the pandemic. Um, it's kind of a, a little bit of an inflammatory beginning to the article, but um, it is a really good Guardian article about how robots in uh, India, also across the world, obviously, are doing their part here. So you're going to see an interesting little uh, little robot right here that India has been using, uh, developed in recent years by the the Bengaluri startup Invoco Robotech, uh, Robotics. Mitra, that's the name of the robot, Mitra, costs about uh, $13,600 and due to reduced risk of infection by doctors has become hugely popular in Indian hospitals during the pandemic. Multiple technology manufacturers have reported increased demand for their robots over the course of this pandemic from drone-like machines that can roam hallways to move deliveries and AI-powered customer service software to increase the use of self-service checkout at supermarkets. Hmm. Um, a recent report from the World Economic Forum predicted that 2025 is the next wave of automation, turbocharged by the pandemic, will, which will disrupt about 85 million jobs globally. So 85 million jobs globally is quite a bit. They go into more specifics here. The hospitality, uh, hospitality industry, which has been one of the hardest hit by the pandemic, has seen a clear uptick in the adoption of new technology during the pandemic. And one startup called General Robotics from the South Korean state of Karelia uh, collaborated with local authorities to adapt its spider-shaped robot Bandicoot to clean sewers and manholes, which until then had been cleaned manually, which was notoriously dangerous and uh, obviously unpleasant work. So I, I bring this up first because this is the positive of, I mean, it, it says it as recorded job losses, but this is the relative positive that comes from robots. There are, there are jobs that we put ourselves at risk to do. And I don't know if we're, we're, if we're going to advance as a culture, we have to identify that there are certain jobs that probably should be filled by technology if, we can, if, that's, if that's what we do as a people, as a global population. Yeah, like I spoke to you before um, in a previous thing, um, about how like businesses should uh, invest in their employees, meaning if they were going to do uh, investments in technology, 
It should be for their safety, their well-being, to give them more time for themselves and their family, to be more productive, to have a clearer mind state because they work so hard. At least the technology would help assist in regards to getting them uh, in a position to, you know, be more efficient as human beings. But instead, it's like they jumped over the people and went straight to, okay, well, we don't really need the people. We can get robots or whatever else. They don't get sick and so on and so forth. They totally excluded, uh, well, not in all industries, but in a lot of industries, uh, the idea of being humane to these people, like helping them make sure they have their jobs and, and everything um, situated uh, because they're thinking more of profits and efficiency for the business and not really for the employees and their their well-being. Um, I have a problem with that aspect of it. I like the aspect for the safety part, like you were saying, um, in regards to um, keeping people safe and not going into dangerous environments, sort of like the police robots and and similar uh, technology that keeps them out of harm's way. But other than that, I, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, you know, efficiency is great, but if you're not thinking about the the long term effects on society when you're making these decisions, it, I think it's it's problematic, and it can cause. Um, you know, at the end of the day, look at how many jobs people are going to be losing because of automation. I've seen the uh, transition when I was younger. I was an IT person. I, I was working for one company, uh, and then I kept going through different companies, learning more and more as I, I was going. And I saw, I'm 44, I saw um, how it went from you go service a machine, after you service the machine, you know, for the person, because you're in-person type of thing. It went from that to... Um, so uh, remote appliances with it sort of like, you know, a router or some sort that allowed them to go on the network to see what was going on with their systems to cloud based and now AI and virtual piece, virtual machines and so on and so forth that basically fix themselves. in in a lot of cases, I know there's some technology behind it that needs a human interaction, but at the end of the day, it's like they slowly started scaling things down. The, 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 the amount of money people make as an IT profession, Hardware is okay. When you do hardware and you're repairing something that's broken, that's something. But um, if it's software related or something that can, you know, easily be patched through software um, or, you know, remotely or whatever it is, they'll do what they have to do. They'll have some sort of redundancy set up where, you know, if something goes down, they can fix it. And then later on, they might send one person to do the job of like multiple people to fix multiple issues instead of, you know, and it's just... To me, I, I just, it's problematic. I mean, I guess it's a sign of the times, but I don't know. It, it, it's, they're doing it well, in every industry. You know, technology-wise, I've seen it from the technology perspective, but not, I can't really say too much about other industries, but it seems like they're doing it with everything. You know, shop, you know, go to shopping. So this is the negative. There's a negative here that you're just talking about, um, yeah. and it's in the article too. Even though humanoids were introduced in the Indian hospitals during the pandemic, Doctors and staff are reluctant to use the technology and monitor the robots, and there is also a poor problem of poor connectivity to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so you're talking about barriers that still exist between technology, and we're mm -hmm. still like in the situation where you do need people to do that work from mm -hmm. uh, software and a hardware side. So the hardware honestly, side we, we haven't hit. The, yeah, the hardware side yes. definitely. And you also got to develop new technology. So there's definitely going to be jobs. But um, first, I have an issue also with um, the education system and how they're teaching people. Um, 
a lot of things are are how could I say what's the word I'm looking for when it comes to to actually making the devices everything's uh, modular now you know what I mean they make things and then they take a piece from one thing and they put it into another thing and and they've gotten into uh, a situation where it's not it, it doesn't take as many people it, it, it still takes an intelligent mind to do it don't get me wrong but it's like limiting the amount like uh, of of opportunities for people like i remember back in the days when i was younger you can get fifty thousand sixty thousand dollars as an it profession now they're starting people at, even when i was going they started me off at like 20 something thousand dollars and that's ridiculous you know what i mean and so they're bringing the price uh, you know the the wages down for that if you don't, if you don't have a special a specialty luckily i learned how to fix on uh, uh, computers and laser printers and at the time it was a hot commodity i was making decent money you know when i was doing it but you know even now it's like they want to send things back instead of having you know uh the the right to repair industry um is is getting really really shady especially with apple and and um a lot of these other companies where they won't give you certain components to repair it and you have to go through their system and, it, and it, instead of giving people like mom and pop stores opportunities to fix their own stuff, you know, they're, they're, it's slowly scaling the industry and making it smaller and more condensed or compact or however you want to. It's just, it's just, I don't Which know, is ex- but, That's but, exactly what I wanted to talk to Richard about there. Um, how has that consolidation of, of all of these companies affected you? Um, well, I mean, as... You know, as as far as the technology is concerned, you know, when it when it comes to automation, um, it really hasn't affected the 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 realm of of fine art. Um, you know, in the way that I think it's affected the realm of, let's say, commercial graphics or you know, IT or um, I mean, I mean, artists are using artificial intelligence and they're using robotics and they're using all these kinds of things to you know and they're kind of pushing pushing those boundaries to create um you know different viewing experiences um and different interactive experiences let's say um you know when it when it comes to my personal practice as an artist um you know i'm i i, I consider myself fairly low tech I mean, I've made films in the past, you know, and I've, and I've kind of used technology. Um, uh, so I, I, you know, so I, so I made this film called Flip World, which is a, a short form documentary. It's about 34 minutes long. And I did it all myself, you know, I just shot it myself. I did the audio myself. I did the editing myself. And this is something that to me, um, I was able to do with software that was already pre-installed on my computer. And if you're able to edit and if you're able to know the fundamentals of like you know, narrative and storytelling and, and photography, if you're able to apply those fundamentals to a digital environment, you can do things that are, you know, were unthinkable for an independent artist to do 30, 20, 15, even years ago. Um, you know, the idea that I would go out by myself with no money no significant, um, you know, just, you know, an external mic, a boom, a light, a camera, nothing special. And that I could come back and actually shoot a pretty credible movie and edit it and, and, and get it out there on YouTube and distribute it through the internet. You know, and just, you know, 20 years ago, that was like 
unheard of. You know, people were still on the fence as to whether or not they were going to shoot 35 millimeter in their cameras versus, you know, did, you, know you know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's like, I mean, it's like this expansion is so rapid that it can be, I think, jarring um, in any industry that you're in. But the question that I always think of and the question that I ask is, what are the motivations behind automation? In other words, so, so for instance, you, we've already acknowledged with this conversation that there, yeah, there are some tasks that are, you know, dangerous to biological entities that are not dangerous to mechanical entities. So um, we get that. But then to me, I feel like we begin to get into an area that becomes about phasing out the, the human being, that becomes about phasing out the person. Because human beings have a lot of problems. I mean, if you want $20 an hour, um, you know, you go someplace and we find human beings that will do the same work for $10 an hour. And then you go someplace and you'll find human beings that will do work for, for $2 an hour. And now we want to find human beings that don't need lunch breaks and don't need bathroom breaks and don't have sick time. And those human beings don't exist. So, 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 it, so, it, so, so it becomes this kind of, and I've sometimes heard it referred to as like, you know, the, the, well, in, in the labor end of it, they've referred to it as kind of like the race to the bottom. I've heard Bernie Sanders and other people talk about it, which is like this crazy kind of idea that we just take our product and take our business and move to a market where we can exploit labor, you know, further and further and further and get more work for less and less um, expenditure. But now we can get to a point where you have to ask yourself, is the automated checkout counter necessary? Is that is that something that's being done to to who's who's benefiting from that? Is a corporate entity benefiting from that? Are customers benefiting from that? I mean, you know, you know things of that. Like, do you really need robots to build a car? You know, I mean, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, for for decades and decades and decades, that was done by human beings. Now it's done by by robots, um, you know, but then there's also this other flip side that you've discussed, which, which is, you know, so now we've got robots doing surgeries, you know, within these very, very tight tolerances that human beings, you know, you, you, you're, we're not capable of that with, with our hands and our biological brain and all the stuff we've got going on. So to me, I think it's a question of, it, it's new, it's a, the technology is neutral to me. It's not a question of it being good or bad. It's a question of how is it, how is it applied? So that, that's, that's what I would say from it. Yeah. And I would even say, for instance, like my NVIDIA card for my video is, a, is made by a robot. It is made so that it is actually at a higher level and therefore they can do higher sync tests on it because there is human error. Um, but that's like, that's the one technology, maybe automobiles and like tech. Like when I mean tech, I mean hardware are the only two that I find are acceptable reasons to really just switch out people. I've seen it that like you have to check yourself into places. There are kiosks that you now just have to check yourself in. And as much as there is some kind of security in that and some kind of like there's a receipt 
oftentimes for those those interactions. So that's important, but at the same time, it unless it increases the safety of the employees, I always feel weird about doing like self checkout at this point. Other than the fact that it expe- expedites my life, because you you realize how much it's just for you to feel like you don't have to connect with somebody right there. You don't have to be in the line with the the one uh, cashier that you might find annoying because most people go to the same places over and over again. Um, so just I, I wanted to throw up to that video just because I wanted to make sure people saw this robot again and um, saw it in action because one of the things that is compelling to me is that most of these have almost human humor, uh, human characteristics to make sure that they kind of fit in with people. And it's something that I think undeniably is something that we fashion in our head. Star Wars already did to us. We already want everything to kind of look like it has a face. And um, I, if you want to just show the video real quick. Here we go. The, the main reason I want to show it is because um, I, it's a commercial for it in a way. But look at this, like how, how much they're trying to sell it to us that this machine is going to save us from our problems. And that's the real issue is that commercialism works in a lot of fact- factors. Um, and it, it's a cute little thing. And you would never think that anything bad could happen. But um, I know people who have their, you know, Alexas and stuff like that. And they, they hate the fact that Alexa's hearing everything they're saying, you know? <laughs> it's all good till his eyes turn red. You know, when his eyes start turning yep. red. <laughs> Oh my God, it's pretty scary. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I have to be honest with 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 this. I really am of kind of two minds. Um, you know, on the one hand, I, I understand that you know, with the pandemic, being a frontline hospital worker is extremely dangerous. Um, and and I and I get that. And I also understand that you know, I mean, uh, not minimizing just the inherent. Um, you know, uh, desire and value of of minimizing risk to human life. But also, I mean, doctors are, from a very practical standpoint, hard to replace. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's, it's, yes, I mean, of course, there's a human element and you want to make sure that everyone is as safe um, as, as possible. But, you know, one of the reasons why the plan is to administer vaccines to the frontline workers first is because obviously they're the ones that take care of everyone else. When I say frontline, I mean frontline medical workers, yeah. doctors, nurses, you know, people that are there. So I mean, so I mean, if if we don't have that that element of of care uh, available to us, the the issue is um, it can be very dire very quickly. Uh, to me, my question is with the with the robots, uh, the advent of robot healthcare professionals or or whatever the, however you you want to look at it, um, is you know at, at to what extent are they being used? Um, if they're being used to diagnose and to make medical decisions, I would say. I, you know, I would really, really want to make sure that they were capable of doing that before I allowed them to steer the course of treatment. If they're being used to to carry out treatment and to administer treatment that's already been decided upon by um, a human human doctors, you know, the regular doctors that we go see, um, then to me, I feel like that's a different standard. Um, and it's one that comes with it a greater degree of comfort. 
personally. That's just kind of the way, you know, my, my take on it. And I would say this is actually, go ahead, go Robert. I was going to say, it's all about, like you said, the intentions, you know, at the end of the day, if they're doing it for the the greater good, then great. But um, if it's not, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy, man. They're they're doing this for profits and they're not thinking about uh, how to take care of people correctly. I'm sorry. My phone's ringing. I thought I turned my ringer off. I'm sorry. It's all right. Well, what I was going to say is that that it also shows. Did you want to see that article? No, no, I, I, I'm going to read a little bit of a different article. Uh, but actually what I, it gets to me is that we're talking about, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but it, it fashions this for high specialized jobs. So those people who are doctors are not going to lose their work. It's going to be the janitorial staffs. It's going to be, uh, I'm going to actually read this recent article that um, basically in June, um, all of Pennsylvania took all their toll booth workers and replace them with automation. So now they're all automated. And so let me just read this quickly. Currently, there are only incidental examples of permanent job loss due to an uptick in automation brought on by the pandemic. But the layoffs of hundreds of Pennsylvania toll booth workers this June provides a clear example of how labor-saving technology can sweep away jobs. Per a union agreement, workers were supposed to be kept on payroll until at least October 2021, with final layoffs happening in January 2022. When the pandemic arrived, collectors were sent home in March and were promised that the commission would still uphold its 2021 date. But in June, the commission permanently laid off all the workers over a year before the agreed date. So that's what I mean. That that is the real penalty of this is that um, and also you have to remember places like New York actually just in increase their safety rules what they did is that they made it so that you can't just um there's more speed bumps basically in the in the way so there's not fast traffic going into the tunnels and etc so new york city has not replaced everyone they there's still cash in certain places um i just wanted to show you that share that one uh event because it's there's not a lot of clear examples of it and that's a clear example of them breaking a union agreement just to automate and i understand it is a dangerous time but they clearly use that period of time to take advantage of the situation yeah yeah it's crazy everything they've been doing is basically um seems convenient right if you look at it all the stuff that they're doing they they cut all these people out of the the toll booths they cut uh a lot of businesses uh employees and it it's just convenient to me I'm sorry. It, it, it's it's upsetting. No, it's convenient. You don't uh, want to sound like it's um, what's the word? Um, a conspiracy theory, but it's like you know, <laughs> it feels like, you know, like some sort of weird conspiracy sometimes is going on. Even though like like legitimately, some of it is good for us. You know, uh, I I spoke to my cousin um the other day about because we were talking the same question that you had asked him, um about art, in regards to like yeah. How all the technology has 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 you know influenced the changes that it has. Um, you know they have software that you could like scribble. I think I told you this too. You could scribble, and you could draw a picture out of it. Like you just draw a couple of lines here and there, and it'll draw like a waterfall in the forest and all this other crazy stuff just by scribbling lines. And you think to yourself like, how does this affect the people that actually you know have to go in and and do three D um renderings of things and so on and so forth. And they did it the the long, uh, meticulous way, you know what I mean? Versus, 
you know, okay, I'll scrib scribble this and AI is going to take care of it. Um, you know, that plus like facial recognition and all this other crazy stuff that they've created. It's, it's great. Like, I really don't like that um, deep fake stuff. I, that's a thing that, we, you know, uh, you know, maybe not exactly related to automation, but it's just like, I feel like, you know, we're, we're thinking too far ahead of ourselves that we're not even thinking about the people that we're hurting on the way. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just crazy, man. It, it's just, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to express it without like saying something that sounds really conspiratorial or if I'm saying that right. Um, but I feel like truly, um, do you feel that this is a plan from the top? And I mean, by top, I mean, we are talking about basically oligarchs of business that Illuminati. are trying to increase profit. <laughs> no, I don't even, yeah, I don't even want to call it. the Illuminati. It's more like if you have power, if you have money and power, you're starting to consolidate it over time and you want to continue that streak. And I think that automation allows um, there's a good article here too that says that it's not going to be the new automation. It's not going to be the robots that really replace us. It's really the machinery that, like what you were talking about with the autom uh, the automobiles. Uh, basically, those are the ones that get replaced first, yeah. and that it's going to be the stuff that has been automated for ten to fifteen years now that is now going to come in and start replacing us as workers. And look at it's, Uber. It's yeah. less about. Yeah, so looking I mean, at Uber, they were already, low... they had people working for them that they they refused to like pay them regular like uh, wages or whatever. They they got that um thing in the courts uh, settled in their benefit, you know, for their benefit, where you know now everybody has to be contracted workers. And the whole time, over the every driver's head, they're they're talking about, well, we're gonna get replaced by my automated cars, you know, like the whole time, like because you know, I'm like that's that's crazy. They're in your face saying. We're working on technology so we don't have to have drivers. Great. And on top of that, they're also talking about how they don't want to pay people like normal things. So it's like a smack in the face twice. And I used to drive Uber. And, you you know, hear I, that they gave up on it? What, with the automation stuff? They, no. they, they just gave up on the uh, Uber, just gave up on its program to do oh, automated cars. But just like, like three days ago or so. Wow. But they just did it because they can't, they, the safety issues that they, they can't seem to solve yet. I'm not saying that in 10 years, that's not going to happen. It's going to happen in like 10 or 15 years. We'll have automated If they could, cars. they would, right? They definitely would if they could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame, man. That's a shame. How do you feel, Rich, about it? Do you, do you feel, you know, you think that's another industry that's kind of like on a real shady um, trajectory, trajectory? I don't know why I have problems pronouncing things sometimes. It's one of those well, days, well, trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so when it, so when it comes to these questions, kind of of um, travel and 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 how we move around and all all these kind of you know different ideas. To me, I think that it depends on how deeply you want to be connected with a system, right? So when you go through tolls and you've got an easy pass and you've got you've got these things, it's an automated checkpoint. It clocks you in where you get onto the road. It clocks you off where you get on off the road. It charges you automatically. Um, it gets us closer to this kind of contactless uh, society where everything is virtual, right? Um, so 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 to me, I. Um, not that I have any fundamental problem with easy I'm probably you know one of the few people that don't have an easy pass um, but I like to use cash me me personally I very much 
enjoy the anonymity of cash, the freedom of cash. Um, I like to be able to have money that is not necessarily accounted for to any corporate structure. Um, I like to have resources. Not that I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a Luddite by any stretch of the imagination. I have a, a, a bank account, obviously. I have a debit card. I have all this kind of stuff that people have, you know, just in our modern society. But, you know, there, there is a, a component where of really kind of being embedded, um, into a way where you can't earn money in cash. You can't get paid in cash. You have tips. And this thing now becomes a, how do you reconcile your tips with your, you know, you do, do you take that money and you put it in your pocket? It needs to be taxed. It needs to, all of these different things and, and being kind of embedded within these systems, I think make it very easy for us to, um, kind of be, uh, monitored, not to sound you know, mm -hmm. once again, not to sound conspiratorial, <laughs> but it's, but, but it's, but I mean, but I mean, it's really not. I mean, I mean, you're, you're, yourself, I mean, it's just on a very basic level. I mean, you've, you know, we've got these guys, right? And they, you know, they, uh, every, your every phone call is recorded, your every text is logged. Everyone knows that in a digital environment, once something goes out into a digital environment, it never really goes away. I mean, it's kind of out there in, in, in that ether. Um, you know, and so, and so, so to me, it's, it's, you know, I know for a long time they were talking about, um, uh, whoever they is, I had heard, I had read, uh, that, um, the idea was that they were going to, um, put microchips in currency, um, you know, the same kind of microchips that they'll put in a dog, you know what I'm saying? To make sure that they, you know, they can find a lost dog. Um, and the idea was to kind of be able to, track cash transactions in the same way that you can track credit or debit transactions. Um, so, I mean, all of these things, you know, when you talk about um, this kind of scannable technology, right? You go into a building, you take your card, boom, it scans you in. Then you go to the 10th floor and you, boom, you scan your card again. Now, this is the way many, many employees work. Um, and, and, and it literally in real time keeps track of your movements. So on the one way, in the one, uh, kind of sense, having these conversations, you know, it sounds Orwellian, it sounds big brother, but it's like to, in a very real and, and, and tangible way, it's, I mean, it's all around us, this tracking of our movements and our expenditures and our decisions. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a fact of our life. So um, that's what I think of when I think about, you know, removing these kind of point of uh, point of passage kind of employees like toll collectors. Like once again, I hate to, to, to harp on it, but, you know, um, automated, you know, automated checkout, thing, th things of this nature. Now, now it's it's they're using it as a safety uh, uh, mechanism. I went into the grocery store. And there were just people calling out automated registers and you would go there and they had these little curtains and, it, and you would do it and it was fine. Um, but, you know, so so so, yeah, I'll just wrap that up and just say to me, their 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 automation is also dependent on a certain amount of human compliance. 
And so the, to me, the question yeah. is interesting as to they where that begins. You. They force where you to do the tolls, speaking on the tolls. You might not have an easy pass, but now because nobody's there, they just get your license plate. Like they they mm-hmm. they find yes. a way. No matter how you look at it, they find a way to do it. And and, uh, and even at the shopping uh, at uh, Walmart, for instance, you go down there, you want to pay cash. In a lot of cases, they, they they say it's either card or cash only or whatever it is. And I'm like, it shouldn't be that way. You should be able to do whatever you want when you go shopping. In theories, unless the machine's physically broken. I don't understand like like i feel like there's just i don't know means of you know uh like even like with any industry they 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 um take your data specifically like your email address and and so on and so forth to um hold on i think my level's a little hot um what was i gonna say um they, they take your they, everybody wants to uh, accumulate information so that they can keep promoting things to you or keep charging you or keep track of you or like there's a, there's a reason for all of that, and, and you know some people think it's innocent stuff, but then you look back at it and you're like, wait a minute, you find out later somewhere on the news, somebody got arrested for X Y Z because they got tracked by this other thing, and I'm like, like that's crazy, you know? It, it's like like you said, or Orwellian, right? Like it feels like. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're about to go to a police. Uh, it's an article about the police, but not just yet because. What I found interesting is that it ropes in people who are younger into structures of industry that you can't get out of. So for instance, I'm stuck with Wells Fargo after having an account with them for so long when actually it was Wachovia to be, to be honest. So we can even go back to the last, <laughs> to the last recession that we had and where Wells Fargo actually sucks up Wachovia. Um, but now you're stuck in a system where you have to use Venmo, when you have to use PayPal. And yeah, you yeah. kind of get roped in to a point that you you intellectually just decide, yep, they're spying on me. I mean, unless I do something crazy, they're not going to notice it because there's just so many people that they're looking, they're spying after. But yeah. it, it is kind of crushing. I know somebody who plays on our, our poker night every Friday who refuses to do anything through Venmo or PayPal. So literally he has an account with our our poker leader. <laughs> and literally, wow. if if he needs to get that cash back at some time, he'll send them a check. That's the, that's the only <laughs> way he'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I only work through this bank. This is the only bank I work through. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, all you have to do is look at your social media feed um, and look at the advertising on there. And it's like, you know, I mean, on the one hand, you can talk about Google searches, but it's 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 spooky. You know, I mean, if you've ever even thought of anything or mentioned it in passing or had, you know, any any kind of reference at all um, to anything, you'll find an ad for it or an ad that relates to it on your social media feed. Um, You know, and so it's it's, um, you know, at what at what point do you begin to kind of really acknowledge the fact that this mass kind of data um, gathering um is you know not in you know very much um a reality and um you know and then and then you have to ask yourself the question do you unplug or do you just say this is life now this is this is our new reality 
Um, you know, yeah, I don't have to use Facebook. I don't have to use a phone. I can car carry only a wad of $100 bills around with me and use it where I can use it and not shop where I can't. Um, you know, but, but, but so what, what are the, when you put that on the scales, what are the benefits and what are the costs of, of, of actively removing yourself from society so, you know, you know, to, to, to remain completely anonymous? Um, I, I don't know. For me, those benefits are not there. Um, you know, uh, but, but it doesn't mean I feel great about, you know, the fact that I can't have a conversation with somebody without finding some kind of crazy ad that, you know, is tailored just for me. It doesn't make me feel good to be listened in on, but by the same token, I like my smartphone. I, I like, you know, being able to use that technology. Um, I like the fact that, yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it's, it's on the one hand, you can say, you know, uh, this is something that's being imposed on us. But on the other hand, it's 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 kind of a decision at this point that people are making where they're like, I'm going to sacrifice a degree of anonymity to be able to avail myself of this technology. If you're not doing anything wrong, you know, what's the big deal, right? In theory, my biggest fear is somebody pulls the plug on uh, the electrical whatever and our money's gone. That's what I'm scared about. You know what I mean? At, at the end the of the UPS. day, <laughs> what was that? Yeah, no UPS on the on the on, on the bank accounts, and all of a sudden, what happened to my 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 thing? It was like, oh, your your credit card or your debit card is invalid. What do you mean? All my money's gone. I'm like, you know, like that's that scares me more than anything else. That you know, with a cashless society, like what happens? Like, how do you prove? That you own that stuff you know you see all these movies of people like losing their identities and everything and it's scary man it's like an entertaining movie when it's not you but if it was you you'd, you'd crap your pants right so it's like yeah. <laughs> unbelievable well i mean so 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 it's in, it's interesting to come at this from the, from this perspective because you know if you remember and i'm sure you you guys do on some level remember what banking was like before there was an electronic component to it, I mean, it was kind of hell. I mean, I mean, I mean, it, it really, it, it, to a certain extent. I mean, you had to, you you had to go to a branch. You had to uh, physically deposit your paycheck. You had to wait online. You had to go to the teller. You had to get the money that you were going to get for the week. If you needed to get more money, you had to go back to the bank during business hours and the banks used to close at 3 p.m. So you'd have to run out on your lunch break, stand in the line, fill out a withdrawal slip. Um, you had to do all this, you know, you know, do, do all this stuff. Make sure you had your and now, and everything. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? And so, so, so we had that system and that wasn't great. I mean, you know, I mean, every, everybody, you know, there was no machine that was going to, you know, digitize your earnings and take them and, you know, or, but by the same token, you had very little flexibility. You were still very much, even though it was in person, you were still very much at the mercy of the financial institution. If you needed money at $50 in the, at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, you weren't getting that money. <laughs> that just wasn't happening. Yeah. You know, so it's it's interesting to look at it from both perspectives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So dualism is possible, but are so we're going to move to police drones, 
And that's this is where AI and technology is really going to hit the cusp of civil rights questions. So in Chula Vista, a Southern California city, flying drones uh, with artificial intelligence are aiding investigations while presenting new civil rights questions. Each day, Chula Vista's police respond to about, 20, uh, about 15 emergency calls with a drone launching more than 4,100 flights since the program began two years ago. So that's only two years. They already have 4,100 flights. Chula Vista, a Southern California city with a population of 270,000, is in the first in the country to adopt such a program called Drone as First Responder. Over the last several months, three other cities, two in California and one in Georgia, have followed suit. Police agencies from Hawaii to New York have used drones for years, but some mostly and simply manually flown them. Officers would carry a drone in the trunk of a car on patrol or drive it into a crime scene. So the real interesting part of this is that now this drone actually it's not sentient, but it's able to go out there into the um, population and just take imagery from a distance. So it can literally search for uh, a, somebody with a warrant at any point in this, this particular area. And this is going to turn into a widespread thing. Uh, I don't think there's any way that Brooklyn doesn't. I mean, th there's a song by LP called Drones Over Brooklyn. Um, and I, I've already seen drones in in New York already. So the idea that they have some kind of um, now goal to find crime instead of to to stop crime, they're there to just find the crime as as fast as they can. It's just going to bring up a civil liberties issue of are do you have privacy rights after you leave your house? What was it like minor minority report? What was the the that movie? Uh, I think it's Minority Report with um. I think it was Minority Tom Report. Cruise. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's like. Or, or are you talking about the one it. with Will Smith? No, I, well, I mean they had that too, but uh, I was thinking more. Yeah. They had the people that were like kind of seeing things ahead of time and arresting people, but yeah, they're, they're both both aspects. They're both like very similar uh, stuff. Um, do you want me to play this uh, video or or, or just? Oh no, it's just just so to get get a like an eyes view of like where these drones can see these drones. You can play it, just don't play the the audio with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so. Basically, have... this is a sus. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say they have um. It seems like a lot of technology, even in airports, like you know, a lot of retinal scanning stuff that they're coming out with, and everything to get people through the airports quicker. I just feel like it's it's very very intrusive, you know. It's like you could be minding your own business and somebody's like looking, you know, things up about you. Look at this. Is... Yeah, I'm I mean, sorry. It's just it's almost compelling. I'm sorry, it's really compelling to watch all of this because it's supposed to reduce the amount of violence necessary to police, but at the same time. Um, I mean, it's just alarming to to see how much functionality this drone has. This drone can see everything right now. Yep, yep. I mean, it's wow. Nothing, you know, it's less uh, expensive um, than running an actual helicopter. That's the only. The, at the end yes. of the day, it's more cost effective for them and easier for them to grab people like this. They could do this type of stuff, I guess, for people selling drugs on street. I don't mind it. To some degree, like in regards to if like if it's really like a really bad na neighborhood and that people are hustling drugs and doing other crazy stuff, you know, I don't mind it as much because they're spying on you either way. But when it's like they're just like randomly doing it to I don't know, 
don't know. I guess I guess I'm not. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem that it could create crime. It could create crime by creating. I mean, there are certain things that we usually, as a as a people, just say. You know what? You you peed on the corner, whatever. This drone can basically say somebody is violating a crime, and it's not. It's just reporting back. It's just, and it's it's very. It's automated. It's very far away that they're doing this from. So it's not the same as having a drone that you're manually trying to find somebody with. So that's what's really important. So it's loot acts in public. So there you go. So usually that would be a crime that the drone may or may not pick up and or somebody may or may not pick up. And that person probably wouldn't have gotten arrested. They probably would have been told to just move it along, get out of there. And you could be arrested for this kind of stuff. And I don't know. We're going to have to decide as a population if this is the best way to deal with well mental health incidents um as they're showing here is that a good way to deal with a mental health incident where somebody's losing their their shit and they have a knife you know that's not going you're going to immediately believe that that's a threat i'm like a 50 50 on this one you know it's like it all depends Mm -hmm. on the situation at the end of the day it's like i don't know it's it's kind of crazy man like i I think to some degree, oh, they have, uh, I skipped a part, they have a guy checking a mail, mail uh, theft. Like certain things, like nah, so okay. I've, had my, I've had my mail yeah. stolen from me, so it pisses me off. And I, you know, I kind of would like somebody <laughs> to be able to catch somebody stealing my mail or whatever it is. But at the same time, it's like, you're also creating a situation that could escalate really quickly. Like, if you, you know, somebody that was doing this thing, just selling his drugs or whatever, they have had a gun on him. Now he's now shooting back at the cops. And, you know, sort of like a car chase, you know, sometimes it's cool and all to, 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 to try to nab the criminal, but sometimes it escalates into something worse. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I'm not 100% against that that much. I don't think I mean? you need to be 100% against. against. Yeah. I think it's more of something that we have to think about as a civil yeah. liberty issue yeah. that we're going to have to decide as a population how much if leaving your house is now a loss of your some of your privacy rights yeah like what are the, what and, else are they watching are they actually like are they getting a like peep into somebody's house and they're doing something intimate you know or something you know you don't really know what that camera's you know getting a, photos of or video of so i i see that aspect of it that, that that's kind of like screwed up but i guess if you're looking face down like the way they are now and I don't know. It's it's interesting. Oh, it's only going to get better than that. Yeah, <laughs> it's only going to yeah. get better than that soon. Yeah. Yeah. Richard, what what's your so, thoughts on this one? So, uh, let me first say I am a fundamental believer that when it comes to law enforcement in the United States, we need to throw out all books completely and and philosophically recalibrate um, the point from which we start when it comes to law enforcement. Okay, I don't think anything that we that we're doing when it comes to law enforcement right now is working. And I think this is just a further manifestation of those philosophies and policies and approaches that aren't working. So to me, I think the last thing American law enforcement needs is to have more barriers removed from citizens, removed from people. So you've got your helicopters, your drones, you've got the, the, the pseudo tank or the, uh, that, that you got a military surplus. 
and you've got your helmet and you've got your shield and you've got your gun and your spray and you've got all of these things that allow you to distance yourself from people, isolate yourself from people, and ultimately at the end of the day, de it, it, it dehumanizes a population. And I think that the, 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 the closer you are to people and the more you are within a community and the closer that you are to humanity, the less likely you are to um, minimize or gloss over or be uh, numb to uh, human rights. So if you look at policing from a European standpoint, Okay, I've done I've done some travel in, in, in Europe. European law enforcement is completely retail law enforcement. I'll explain what I mean. First of all, many the, the, the law enforcement officers in many countries are highly trained and educated on a number of different levels. We're talking three to four years of training as opposed to six to nine months of training. Um, mm -hmm. the, um, many law enforcement officers in many countries don't even carry firearms. It's not even part of their day daily equipment. Um, so there are armed units that are brought in for only very, very specific instances like someone is a hostage situation or you know something is, is is going you know very very wrong but the average you know what we used to call a beat cop right the average put patrol person on the street they they don't have firearms um they they might have a pepper spray that might be their most kind of um uh forceful kind of implement in a in a in a law enforcement situation so what do they have to know they have to know how to talk to people they have to know how to deal with people they have to know how to de-escalate they have to know that you know a lot a lot of the the officers are trained um in um hand-to-hand -hand martial arts techniques um the, the key is nobody dies that's the key okay no, nobody gets shot nobody gets shot to death Nobody gets put in a chokehold. Um, you know, you know, it's not to say that p police officers, you know, r run after, uh, you know, the perpetrators of crimes blowing whistles like, the, you know, like, you know, like a cartoon caricature. But it, but it is to say that the first approaches are inter interpersonal approaches. The first approaches are non-lethal. Okay, they don't call in SWAT teams for guys that are drunk sitting in a parking lot. Okay, they don't call in SWAT teams for people that are having some kind of crisis of mental illness. Um, those things aren't solved with machine guns or pistols or anything like that. And so to me, I see this, this, this drone application as just another kind of instance of you know, we'll we'll just apply the, the technology. It's not it's not about dealing with people. It's about having our little device come in with a camera and finding you on a grid and seeing whether you're naughty or nice, and then you know figuring out how we administer punishment for that. Um, so yeah, so I think that 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 the drone situation is an outgrowth of a much deeper uh, toxic philosophy in law enforcement.
Yeah, I mean, we we basically are agreeing. <laughs> I we we've talked about it before about defund the police as not a fantastic term, but it, meaning what it what you just said is that you're reevaluating the entire structure of the police departments. Oh, now we got a little little kid over here. Who's what's that? There he is. See, see, we're a fun loving show right here. It's my it's my son Phoenix. I wanted him to say hi to you know Hello. everybody. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to. He was walking by. I had to. <laughs> yeah, that's all yeah, right. It's good. I mean, we got. We're doing it for them. We're doing it for all the kids, right? We got to make sure, like, everybody's aware of what's going on in this world and like how they should be treated, right? At the end of the day. But um, yeah. That's I crazy. mean, and that's why I'm. That's why I brought it up because it's like it. We need to decide if this is just norm. Is is, is because it's not going to just stop in these three towns or these uh, three cities. It's going to apply to other places where we're going to have to decide if it's okay to have drones. You know, um, I know how I feel about it, but at the same time, I think that it's reasonable to think that what worried me is that they called it a first responder unit because I don't want it to be the first response for everything. I would, I don't mind it being applied the way for uh, a domestic activity for violence that is probably going to happen in an area. I probably would even be okay with if it was a large form drug um you go, you're going after a large heroin producer or something like that that makes sense to me the problem is that that thing is automated and that thing just flies around all day so i just think that we're just gonna have to think about it because we're gonna have to just decide if that's the future yeah it could be the future i mean um in some ways i kind of just yeah, go ahead, Richard. No, no, I was, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, you know, if you've ever ever seen the John Carpenter film, They Live, you know, with the the glasses and all of this. I mean, I mean, this this whole idea of the surveillance drone that was, you know, kind of right out of that, you know, the little little guys just kind of floating around, seeing what you're doing, and then, you know, it's it's, um, you know, once once again, the tech the technology's neutral. I mean, drones are amazing. I mean, look at all that we've done in photography and and cinematography and and the arts with them. And you know, but by the same token, it's all a question of how you apply it. Do you really want to be walking on the street and seeing one of these things, you know, pop up every ten minutes and be conscious of the fact that you're 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 always on camera? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah crazy <laughs> so my apologies uh robert i think we're gonna skip the uh the last section here Which, and we're gonna uh, just go to the swift changes in media services yeah, let me see. Um, the power of editing yeah <laughs> i'm just trying to make sure i have the right one i have uh, more than 1200 uh google workers condemn firing ai scientists is that that's not what yeah we can go to that that actually is probably the most that is the most on topic right now um so let's do that all right well, let me just, uh the firing of it let me let let me know when you're ready robert here we go <laughs> so there was a firing of an AI scientist, an artificial intelligence scientist, Timonent Gebru from uh, Google, uh, which is causing an uproar. Uh, Dr. Gebru uh, is well known for her work on racial bias in technology and has criticized systems that fail to recognize black faces. Scientists have ex expressed support for Dr. Gebru as a leading in artificial intelligence ethics research. 
Um, an email which was first published by the tech news platformer referenced a dispute over a research paper, but more broadly expressed frustration at Google's diversity programs. Gabru argued that there is zero accountability or real incentive for Google leadership to change. Your life gets worse when you start advocating for unrepresented people. You may start <laughs> making the other le leaders upset, Gibru wrote. There's no way more documents or more conversations will achieve. So I'm not sure if you want to play the, uh, the video right up next, but we could talk about this is somebody that is talking about the racial disparities. And it's not just racial disparities. There's probably gender disparities as well in their environment. And they'll get censored um, because AI technology is big business right now. It's the future for most uh, platforms. Google is, uses it all the time to get their algorithms correct. So um, facial recognition, uh, all of that is going to be the future. So this is somebody who has a very strong opinion on especially racial diversity issues, which is really there are no black AIs. They, in a lot of uh, games and stuff, there's not a focus on that. So right now, all of the artificial intelligence software focuses on white people. And you know, it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But if you're going to write a research paper, you're going to talk about an uncomfortable <laughs> situation. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, um, is, are we doing VC4 or VC2 for this one? I know you said you wanted to... Um put a video up i'm just not sure which one is i think it's let me see if i have it i know i mean i know i have it i'm just not it is vc2 vc2 okay i just want to make sure all right so i'm cutting over now hold on one moment <clears throat> what i want to talk to you about today are the invisible algorithms that are all over our lives but that are not as glamorous as this robot but that are i think more important AI right now is being used to uh, manage our uh, electric systems, power systems, driving systems, trading. So sometimes you see the market going up, down, and up again, trying to figure out who to hire and who not to hire. And if you are interested in learning about how pervasive these um, data-driven algorithms are in our lives and uh, some of the unintended consequences that might come, because of that pervasiveness, I recommend that you read Weapons of Math Destruction or Automating Inequality. AI is also used in our government. So how many of you have heard of this 2016 ProPublica article that talked about a software that purports to predict someone's likelihood of committing a crime again? So how many of you have heard? So judges use this um, prediction as one of the inputs to decide how many years to sentence someone to prison for. Jesus. And I mean, they're afraid of this soft-spoken woman <laughs> bringing too much truth to power right there, just telling you about how structural this AI technology has gotten into our fundamental resources. We need it. We use it for the stock market. And we're, we're still driven by something that doesn't affect most of us. So that's, you know, it's, it's very, it's sad. It's sad to see Google and other companies are unwilling to have any dissenting voices. It's, it's scary, man. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's how you preserve a power structure. 
unfortunately, yes. by 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 you know by limiting the voices of dissent. I mean, you know, it's 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 um, I don't you, artificial intelligence. The 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 concept of it, I think, um, kind of needs to be clarified. And not that I'm a I'm a, a you know not that it's my field of study or anything. I just I'm very uncomfortable with machines actually making decisions. I'm not I'm not un, I'm not uncomfortable with machines. Weighty decisions, decisions of any of, of, of any gravity. Let, let, let me let me qualify that. Um, I you know I don't have a problem with the machine figuring out what the best oil is in my car. I don't have a problem with the machine figuring out you know um, you know kind of kind of mundane details that make human life move along more smoothly. That, that um, those aren't the kind of decisions I'm talking about. I'm talking about the decisions, you know, of, you know, like uh, in hospitals, uh, what disease you may or may not have, what condition you may or may not have, what what side effects to a medication are relevant and might not be relevant based on your medical history, who goes to jail and for how long and if they should go to jail. Um, I just think that there are certain decisions that we really cannot abdicate to computers. Um, and I think there are certain decisions that we can, uh, and I, you know, and I, and I've, and I've given examples of, of that. Um, so to me, you know, I mean, I don't think I don't see how it could make any borderline conscious person, you know, um, anything other than uncomfortable. I mean, the idea that you have a machine that will crystal ball your maybe or maybe not recidivism when it comes to 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 uh criminal a criminal activity i mean to me it's like how can you look at that as anything other than you know uh, removal of somebody's self-determinism you know uh, um, um i think i think i think that's a that, that's a very key factor here um, you know, who, who do you bet on? Who do you place your, your faith in? Not to be religious, but who do you faith, place your confidence in? Or your, you know, are, is it about people? Or is it about some, an algorithm that someone wrote uh, or created? That, those are the questions I have with that. At the end of the day, it's all about the purpose of it, right? Like, why are they using it? Is it it's supposed to make human life better maybe easier but at the end of the day it's like people take it and they be oh i see what else i could use this for this is interesting i could take advantage of this or i could do that and and it's scary because you never know who's behind it you know what i mean it's one thing that people would have some sort of accountability for their actions but it's like how do you with a conglomerate like uh google like how do you point the finger who's at fault when things go you know haywire you know what i mean or apple or any of these big companies you can't really like you know you want to be able to to blame somebody and say that you know this is wrong we shouldn't have these things going this on this type of path or whatever it is but at the end of the day it's like it, it, it's gone to the point where it's kind of like the pandora's out the box you know what i mean like it's it's already um, it's also limiting liability it's limiting yeah. their liability for a lot of things um and for for instance, I 
go ahead. I was gonna say, look at the politicians. They're even uh, doing making laws and bills or whatever they do um, to 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 limit the liabilities of some of these companies for some of the stuff that they're doing. In some ways, they it's like they 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 pick and choose the wrong things to go after them for, and then at the same time, on other instances, they choose the exact opposite thing that they should do, and it, it's just uh, it, it's it's crazy. I. I I, I I lose my mind with technology. I love it. I I I enjoy it. I enjoy the the fact that I can do all this stuff at home, like produce shows and and make music and photography and everything else that I do. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, now everybody has the same tools. Everybody can do all this stuff. Now everything's just noise. And who do you point the you know point the fingers at when things go wrong? And it's just it's just. I don't know. It's, to me, it's, it's happening so fast that, you know, unless you have like a, a speciality in something that differentiates you from something else, it's like you become part of the noise. And, 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 and like you said, with the liability aspect, it's all noise. Like, uh, you know, people look at it and they, and they, they, they conclude it as being, oh, this is just what, what comes with it. They, 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 they simplify what's going on. Like they, they make excuses for companies like this, like, like there was a thing um, with um, was it Facebook? They had a hearing, I think it was over a year ago, and they were asking about the the ads and everything, right? They were talking about uh, you you have all these politicians like asking them, why do you have to take all these people's information and blah 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 blah? And they're they're hounding Google and not Google, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, um, yeah, yeah, Facebook, um over and over again over the most common sense thing that everybody knows each 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 of these companies are stealing not stealing but you're signing up for it you're getting a free service right you got to give them something right they're not going to just give you a you know multi-billion dollar company is going to give you something for free you know i mean it is for free but it's like they're, they're benefiting somehow they're selling your information and so on and so forth and that's the same thing with ai and everything else it's like they're doing a lot of this stuff for a reason. Uh, I was watching a a, a, a YouTube um, thing about how this one company does it for surveillance as well, where they, you know, they take, you know, the the uh, facial recognition software, and you know, people are pissed off. They're like, "Well, you're using all this stuff for the police and and all this other stuff," and 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 it's very intrusive. And he was he was basically saying, "Oh, but it's for the greater good," and and you have people basically saying. I understand why they're doing that because you know they they simplify it. They like this is something that that's going to be beneficial for society. It's going to make it a safer place and this and this and that and, and 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 to me it's like do you not see what they're doing? You're you're losing your freedom. Like you're losing your privacy and 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 it, it's it's crazy and and these companies have so much money. They could they could um basically um pay you to 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 shut up. You know what I mean? They pay pay lawyers to get you to shut up and, and it's i don't know i don't know um let me see oh you sent me all right my bad i'm looking at the, the no no the reason the yes there's it's all about intention and i'm actually the next video is showing you a little bit of the good intentions of that ai could have or at least one of the reasons why diversity is important you're interested to see whether embodiment in an avatar of a different race would change people's implicit racial bias. So by implicit racial bias, I mean that it's the bias that we don't know we have that we just get from everyday life. So the idea of this test is that categories might be white positive, 
black negative. Then a series of words or faces come and again they have to categorise those words or faces. If you have an implicit racial bias, it's much easier and therefore faster to classify white positive words and black negative words than the other way around. Then they put on a suit. So in the lab there's cameras around the walls and these cameras are used to track particular markers that are stuck on, on the bodysuit. Once everything's ready, when they put on the head-mounted display, they'll be in an empty room with a mirror. And when they look in the mirror, they'll see a, ref a, a virtual body whose movements mirror their own movements. First, uh, I felt strange, but later on, I feel comfortable with my new body. When I look at myself in the mirror with another color of my skin, I didn't realize, in fact, that it was not my real color. So after this period is finished, then, not, then the implicit association test starts again. This time they'll see it in the head-mounted display. What we're interested to see is if to give someone an experience of actually being a member of that minority group for a short time would change this implicit racial bias. When we embodied light-skinned people in a dark virtual body, their implicit racial bias decreased the type of body you have seems to actually influence how you behave, what your thoughts are and so on. So this is the really powerful thing that we're beginning to discover. So that's great. I mean, it's they're using AI. What it is is that they're developing the AIs for the future to be more inclusive. They're basically, this is a way of testing something, right? This is a scientific test, basically, to find out if people have a higher uh, stereotypical stereotype of, of different people and whether they diminish them or not because of the, the color of their skin. And they basically are proving that, hey, people do that as long as they don't see themselves as that. Once they see themselves as that, they're able to broach that into the world and not be i guess as racist i think that racism is is it's in everybody there's a little bit of racism in everybody that you can always learn to not to to go against but um it's it's not really racism it's more like stereotyping people yeah. um and i find it that this is the positive of all of this is that you get to see different structures of science through ai so i just didn't want to leave us with all of the negative parts of technology i think that this is like this is how science works there's got to be there's going to be consequences unfortunately um to everything but you can find a positive way to use it yeah sure. it was interesting definitely interesting you know, you know the science in general like when it, like we said in the medical it's a, a lot of that's medical and psychological um impact on people you know what i mean those things they're okay. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's when people are trying to get financial gains or to manipulate situations. That's where I have a problem with technology. Other than that, you know, if it's efficiency and, you know, it helps people in some way. Like I said earlier with, with businesses, if, if businesses are willing to invest in solutions that are there to help the actual employees or, or people in general, I'm cool with it. But it's, that's the thing, man. Like we live in like a crazy country, man. These people in this country, 
Like 50% of them I've noticed are pretty crazy in this country and and like their agendas and their 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 reasoning behind things are it's it's scary. I don't want to give these people this power to be able to do some of this stuff that they do. And you know and some of them are too stupid to really understand the the long um you know the, the long term effects of of what some of this stuff can do. You know, if these jobs aren't going to come back. Once they start doing some of this stuff, a lot of these jobs won't come back. So, it's scary, man. I mean, but, yeah, I, I love the positive stuff. I love it, especially if I'm using yep. technology. <laughs> it's my technology. Yeah, you know? I mean, <laughs> I just want to, I, I even, I have to admit, I'm even trying to even out the conversation because I do believe that AI is a scary thing for us in certain aspects. Like, yes, we're going to lose some jobs to technology, like, cars that can actually drive and self automate kiosks etc but it's important to know that that wasn't necessarily the reason for it the reason wasn't the capitalism that is related to it it is actually people who have scientific they've scientific discovery built into them and it's hard because we live in a society that is capitalist right now and there it's will be taken advantage of sometimes like the a-bomb um, or like the A-bomb, you know, you got a scientist develop all this stuff. Like, guess what we can do with this? Look at, you know, it's like you look at, you look yep. at what they, you know, it's a damn shame, man. There's always somebody, oh, we could use this in military um, environments or this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's what's scary. What do you think, Rich? You think, is you know, how do you feel? Well, as far as the video that we just saw, I think it's really cool. I, I, I have to say... I don't think that the person that needs it is going to be the is going to be the person that gets it. In other in other words, I think that if you're open enough to want this experience and to be engaged by this experience and to try to figure out, you know, about implicit biases and how this works and the racial dynamics and all these different things, if you're motivated enough to do that and strap on that suit, you're probably not part of the problem. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, so I think, so I think it's, it's a great technology to me. My question would be, how is it, how is it going to be, um, proliferated and utilized and, you know, and, and how, how is, how are people going to engage with it? To me, to me, that would be my question. Um, because, you know, if, you know for, for, for reasons that I say, I mean, if it can be a revelatory thing or if it can be a thing that can incre increase someone's level of understanding or consciousness even about themselves, um, that's a great thing. Um, I'm just curious as to, as to how those dots are going to get connected. But, yeah. Uh, my only answer to that, because I actually don't – I think you're completely right, that you don't know how it's going to come out to other people. Um, I noticed it in like Grand Theft Auto V. Being able to play mm. multiple characters gives you a different idea of the person. And I think, I mean, I don't know if this will translate directly to gaming, but usually these VR kind of things end up in video games, et cetera, because that's a, a commercial entity. So I'm hoping that that is where that will end up at. But, mm. but that's the only measurement that I have, is that you'd see it in more of the... Uh, it's almost like, yeah, gaming and more of like technology, you'll see more faces that are diverse. And it's just a shame that they fired somebody over having conflicting views. Then, you know, like, just go with the status quo, basically. They don't want to have somebody, you know, tarnishing their name. It's crazy. Um, oh, like, 
you can't say things nowadays without people like, okay, oh, you can't do that. You're, you know, we got to let this person go because it, it looks horrible for our company for saying something that is racial related or sexist or, you know, anything that's, you know, out of the, out of the kind of norm, like people should be able to speak, speak freely in regards to situations that they feel like are, are have issues that need to be addressed. But at the same time, God forbid you do that because you get fired for it. You know, you can't be a whistleblower. You can't be anything that, that, um, you know, makes the water rustle, ruffle or whatever you want to call it. But you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. Water churn. <laughs> yeah. He shakes the water, you know, makes it like, you know, churn. yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of science, I think we have to go to COVID now. I believe me, we've, we've talked about COVID a bunch of times at this point, but it is important because it is now on an all time high in most of the states that we know. And I believe that there are 28 states that have red alerts basically for their state. So I think that talking about vaccine re reception by the people is really important. Um, just to quick, uh, I know that Richard actually has a lot to say about this, um, yeah. but both vaccine shots, let's see. Yeah, good. Both vaccine shots, one by Pfizer and biotech, uh, the other by Moderna and the National Institute of Health are mRNA vaccines, a brand new technology. U.S. regulators are set to decide this month whether or to allow emergency use, paving the way for ration shots that will start with health workers and nursing home residents. The groundwork was laid in large part by two different streams of research, one at the NIH and the other at the University of Pennsylvania. And because scientists had learned a bit from other uh, about coronavirus from prior SARS and MERS outbreaks. So I'm going to throw this to Richard because I believe you had a lot to say about the mRNA research. Yeah. So, you know, as far as the vaccine is, is concerned, what I really kind of felt was partially my responsibility to, to do was to kind of do a deep dive into this and kind of take a look at um, what this vaccine is how it was developed. Um, um, you know, I just want to say I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. All I am is just an interested uh, citizen, uh, is interested in this topic as all, I'm sure everyone else is. And I've, and I've done some research and I've done some reading. And so all I really kind of want to do is, you know, discuss discuss that um, just as a, as a lay person. Um, so just to get that out of the way. So, you know, basically, you know, there I've seen and heard a lot of growing anxiety about the vaccine, the vaccine and about the speed with which it was created and about, um, you know, its qualities and its properties and side effects and all these types of things. And so what I wanted to do was kind of read uh, a few articles and I shared another PBS article. I don't know if anyone looked at it, but it's fine if you didn't. But but um, but I I um I just wanted to share some of that information and kind of try to clear up what's you know what are legitimate issues and what aren't legitimate issues when it comes to when it comes to the vaccine. Yeah, I, I just I just want is this the the PBS article that you attached, um, Aunt? or is this because I have a PBS? Article? Um, it should be yes, yes, it should be. All right, so I just want to so I make sure, like you know. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so this is, so this is, is one of them. And, um, I, 
you know, I, I have it, I have it here in front of me as well. I'm not going to read from the article, but it, it's, it's a, 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 an informative article. And, and basically the thrust of, um, of this piece is to kind of um, lay out the map for the groundwork of what an mRNA um, vaccine is, how it's been developed, the time frame over which it's been developed, and how it differs from the standard vaccines that we have. All right. So, um, so when we talk about an mRNA vaccine, right? And I'm just gonna. It, it's um. Uh, so the M stands for messenger. RNA is ribonucleic acid. You've got DNA, um, doxyribonucleic acid. Um, that's, that's as technical as I'm going to get. We all know RNA. We know DNA. We know these are the fundamental kind of genetic building blocks. All right. So this particular um, vaccine, this type of vaccine, they started engineering that, the they being the medical and pharmaceutical global community, started engineering this back in 03. And this was originally supposed to be um, in response to the SARS outbreak. And uh, financing dried up for it. In the past, there have been some technical challenges with mRNA vaccines, not that there were any side effects or they were dangerous in any way, but they, in the past, they, they hadn't been as effective as traditional vaccines because there was um, a problem with the carrier component. The um, RNA dies very quickly. It has a very, very short kind of half-life when you try to use it in purposes, you know, other than the natural purposes that it's, that in which it functions. So they had to find a carrier, like a binder or something to stabilize it. And so, so the, the uh, pharmaceutical community and the people who did this research basically used fat balls, molecules of fat. Uh, basically, they call them little, you know, kind of bubbles. And that is the carrier, that's the vehicle for these RNA vaccines. So this is a, a modified pre-existing technology. All right. This is, so, so just to kind of, you know, um, uh, dispel the kind of framework or the myth that this is something that was done in six months or seven months. Yeah, it has been retro refit and retooled and repurposed for, for COVID-19. But the actual foundation of it and the type of vaccine um, has been in development for, for nearly two decades. Um, and so the difference just briefly between this vaccine where it's safer than previous vaccines and where there is an element of question uh, as opposed to previous vaccines. First, an R and R uh, mRNA vaccine, excuse me. It's it's not a traditional vaccine in that it doesn't use a sample of the pathogen. Okay, it's not based on administering a minimized or inert or altered version of the the, path the pathogen that you're trying to um to 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 suspend that you're trying to combat. Okay, so it's like you get uh, the, the polio uh, vaccines. Part, I, I think this is the, uh, one of the vaccines that we that we have a great deal of um, data on because it's a relatively old, pretty old vaccine. Um, and you get some version of polio, um, but you build up antibodies and you become immune, and that's 
Um, it's a, and it's you're better off. You become immune to the to the disease. This style of vaccine is a new style of vaccine, even though it hasn't just been created, but it works differently. What it does is it creates a protein um, and the protein um, that it creates allows the body's natural uh, immune system or the body's natural defense system, the protein incites the, the, the body's def, uh, immune system and defense system into attacking the pathogen. So you're using the body's immune system to greater effect by introducing the protein, whereas in the past, you were just giving them some form of the virus itself and letting, and letting the, the body work around it in that way. Now, the flip side, the, the drawback to this, if, if there is a drawback, is that this is, relatively speaking, even though it's certainly not six months old or 10 months old, it is, relatively speaking, new biotechnology. New, it's a new way of approaching vaccines. It's not just a new vaccine for this specific disease, for this specific virus. It's a new way of approaching vaccination totally. And therefore, we don't have 50 years of data on it. We don't have 30 years of science on it. We don't have a 20 or 25 year medical history of observing people that have taken this vaccine, seeing what their side effects are, seeing how it affects them, seeing what it does, seeing what it doesn't do. We don't. Most of the writers of the articles and, and the communications that I've read um, in the medical community seems to be that that community seems to be more concerned about the long-term possible effects of COVID than they are of the long-term possible effects of this vaccine. So any doctor will tell you, do we have a 20-year case study on this? Can we vouch 100% that five or eight or 10 years down the road, there won't be some unintended thing that happens from this that we can't foresee? No, we can't say that with any certainty. And anybody who would say that is lying to you because it's a brand, it's a new thing that's being introduced. That being said, it is built on a foundational bedrock of science that is sound and that has been that has been researched. So the question becomes, you know, I would like people to kind of move away in their thinking from how did they get it done so fast? Did Trump do it? Is it a conspiracy? Is it political? Is it for the election? Is it this? Is it that? And, 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 and I would like them to embrace this medical technology in the same way you would or wouldn't embrace any new medical technology. It's a different thing. It's a step forward. But many people believe it's an innovation. And it's one that's going to save a lot of lives. So yeah, with any medical procedure, there's risks and there's benefits. And so I just want people to focus on the reality of those risks and those benefits, <laughs> rather than taking those risks into a, a place that's just, that's just really more internet meme type stuff and less actual science. So that's just my piece on the, the vaccine. Yeah. And actually what's in, which really relevant is that we have a, uh, 
right after this, we have Letitia Wright, who is a, a Black Panther fame, basically. Um, she got embroiled in a controversy because she put up a video for about 90 minutes, I believe it was, of her being anti-vax, anti-this vaccine. And so there's some other things, some transphobia in there as well. Um, but it, she got embroiled in a huge conversation. And um, I wish we still had the video. She deleted it all. This is the thing. This is the internet. Though things dis disappear, I could go find those clips if I want to. Um, I think it's more interesting to hear Vanity Fair's uh, video on this. YouTube video disputing the legitimacy of the coronavirus treatment and vaccines in general. Variety noted that the controversial content also contained climate change skepticism and transphobic comments. Following initial criticism and anti-vaxxer accusations, Wright tweeted, If you don't conform to popular opinions, but ask questions and think for yourself, you get cancelled. As the outrage continued, the 27-year-old actress doubled down on her point of view and argued, You have every right to ask questions about what goes into your body, and ask questions until you feel you are ready. So what's insane is that she's just she's just an actor. Um, she shouldn't be giving up any advice at all on this. And it's I understand that she wanted to have a conversation about it, but it's clear that uh, she's probably less affected by this than the other people who are just like her, who are black and Latino in certain areas who are being hit by these COVID numbers by an unfounded rate, you know. So I just wanted to show, expose another, and not even expose, it's just, there is an interesting culture that I know is happening in black communities where they just, they don't believe in vaccines first. Um, there, there's a fear from past, from the Tuskegee experiment. There's just from any past expedition into uh, medical research, they're worried about it. And I think it's scary, but it's important for me to enlighten people, uh, us to enlighten people, that it's an effective vaccine. You already said all the things about the pathogens and the anti, um, it actually being attached to the protein. So I don't have any of the, I'm not going to talk back and uh, requote that, but I don't even know. How, you, you don't even have to feel any way about this, but it's more like this is our cool down sometimes. And you just need to hear like how ridiculous people are. Um, her, she said her intentions were not to hurt anyone. Her only intention on posting the video was to raise m her concerns that the vaccine contains, uh, of what the vaccine contains and what we are putting in our bodies. It's a legitimate thing to say, but at the same time, it is not legitimate to go put out a video where you're discounting science just because you, I, I don't think she was looking for clicks either. I think that this is a, true believer of well you got to be really worried about what the government is going to do to you and i think that is a something that we need to fight right now is that the government can be bad to us but the government isn't the end-all be-all there are people involved with it and they mostly want what's best for most people not always if you're talking about money that's a whole different story but when you're talking about health most people want the best outcome I want to make sure well, everything yeah, is I mean, shut down. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that 
I think that it's important to acknowledge that on some level, any time you seek medical treatment, there is a calculated risk. You can go under anesthesia and you can die. Okay, you can you can die if you have an issue with your heart and you need a valve replacement, you can quite very possibly die in an effort to fix your heart and replace your valve. The question is, is, you know, at, at what point do you feel that the risks have been accounted for and are calculated enough that there's a risk benefit ratio that is favorable to you? And and so and so I mean I I I think that yes I I agree with with one thing that 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 was said in that clip I do agree that everybody should ask questions and get information when it comes to their own health and when it comes to being advocates for their own health you know I don't I think there's nothing wrong with that but really gather information from credible sources and, and people that are in a position to know. Um, you, you, in other words, you know, just kind of vague, these kind of nebulous ideas that, you know, vaccines are created in some kind of like government funded dark fortress or something. I mean, these, va these vaccines were created um, in tandem with, with biotech uh, companies in Germany and, you know, all, all different kinds of, of, of entities participated in this. Um, you know, o over the last two decades, you know, and so, I mean, I have absolutely no problem with people having questions and seeking information and not necessarily taking, um, uh, you know, a public health policy at face value without, without learning about it. But I think that there's a difference between acquiring knowledge and perspective and learning and just being, you know, fundamentally vaguely skeptical because of, 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 of a, you know, you know, some kind of, some kind of personal um, experience or viewpoint that doesn't translate outside of yourself. That's, or oneself, you know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think at this point, at this point, for anyone with any platform, to run around saying blanketly without any qualification, the vaccine's dangerous. It's going to hurt you. It's going to kill you. To me, I think that's irresponsible. I think yep. that's grossly irresponsible. Yep. If you want to talk about legitimate concerns, well, let's talk about it. And the medical profession will talk about it too. But that's kind of where, where I'm at on, on, on that, um, is I think when it comes to issues of public health, um, if we didn't really want to take the vaccine, we would do what they did in, you know, New Zealand. We would do what they did in 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 uh, um, uh, uh, Belgium and places like this, where you know, I mean, we would we would shut down, we would wear our masks, we would have a policy in place where people wouldn't have to go out to work. We'd all isolate. We'd wear, and we'd flatten that curve. We've made it very clear as a population that we're not trying to do that. We've made it very clear that that there is a segment of the population, a large segment of the population, that isn't going to wear a mask, that isn't going to socially distance, that is still going to go out and have that beer at that pub, or or go out to that restaurant, or get or gather for Thanksgiving. And in the face of that, you you gotta kind of be vaccine friendly 
you can it's it's tough to place both sides of the, the field what do you but so think, i'm done i don't want to i don't want to you know, ramble what do you on think um is triggering a lot of that you think it's the well i, I know part of it's the trust issues that over the years have just been trashed you know what i mean over the years a lot of people um wanted to believe in government and they feel all this stuff about pharmacies rob not pharmacies but pharmaceuticals robbing us and all this other stuff that just keeps you know it came huge over time where people started losing trust i think that's part of it um but also there's a a degree of selfishness and like i don't know i i don't know what's really what people are thinking like if they really care about their family and friends and i also think part of it is is a lot of people aren't actually seeing what's happening like the percentages are so low mm -hmm. in, in, you know yeah. com compared to the population that people think that it's insignificant they're like oh it's only like a one percent chance that blah 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 other than that it's just going to be a, you know cold or something and and it's i don't know what it is that's that that these people want to compare it to like a regular flu or whatever it is when you look at the, the the amount of people that have died in the last let's say almost a year now it's it's ridiculous that people can can even try to compare they said like in a year what is it like sixty thousand people die with the regular flu, right? It's like close to 60,000 or something like that. I know it's not Well, usually near... they die of complications from the flu, which is pneumonia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and at the end of the day, it's like, I, I just feel like it's, like you said, it's very um, irresponsible. It's very selfish that you're gonna do what you're doing and you're not taking into consideration anybody that's on the front lines and you're not taking into consideration the elderly the people that are sick or anything else because you want to go do you you know what i mean i want to go out and have my beer and i want to go out and party and i want like i saw a couple of videos on facebook of people going to parties and I, you know people's like you know birthday parties and i'm like yo are you crazy man that place is packed i don't even know how they're even putting that stuff on i mean i'm not going to be a, a snitch because what's done is already done god forbid anything happens to these people but i see videos but you gotta stay people. away yeah, it's like I look at them like, okay, I'm not hanging out with you for a twelve, like a, a good two, three weeks or whatever it is, because I saw what you were doing, and and like you know, a lot of these people that I saw on on these videos are were were um against uh, you know a lot of the stuff that's going on, you know, they 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 believe in protecting themselves and whatever, and then I see them out there partying, and I'm like, it's very you know they're contradicting themselves it's it's ridiculous and it's very selfish i want this over just as much as anybody else does you know and either quarantine yourself not quarantine but isolate yourself or take the damn vaccine or or, or just stay away from people do something man like get, I, I don't know what to tell them but it, it's crazy. i want to I, I can express the real numbers for you since uh so the deaths in 2019 for um the flu was 32,400. There are wow. 286,000 286, deaths in COVID for this year. Wow. We're not even talking, it's like apples and oranges we're talking about. And like, it's so ridiculous that you have, I like, I understand her, Letitia Wright's position, even though I disagree with it wholeheartedly. Um, I know what her fear is, and it's a lot of fear. Um, but it's, when you look at the the numbers, it just tells you the facts. And I like I hate to harp on it, but science is the only way to look at this. Yeah, and there's also something. Like, 
Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, and, and there's also something I think that's that's significant with this. First of all, when they talk about a 2% mortality rate, that sounds benign until you realize that's 6 million people in the in in, in the yes. United States. And and so and so that's that's, you know, the 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 the, the, the that's the extrapolation of this. Okay, that's if left unchecked and if spikes, you know, maintained and if and if public safety and public health is not met or addressed in any way, that's the path of this. Okay, it can kill up to 2 2%. Um, so if everybody gets this thing tomorrow, if we just said, forget about it, we're just going to do herd immunity, we're not going to wear masks, we're going to let this thing circulate and we're going to let it die out on its own, that's 2%. When we talk about the 280,000, I'm sorry, what was the exact number that you gave, Anthony? Uh, 36,200. No, the, the, the oh, one of the, the COVID death. 236,000. 236,000. Was it so yeah. 286? I thought it was 86. No, it's 236. Uh, I can double check that, of course, because that's easy to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get the point back, but I, I forgot it. I keep hearing different. Like, that's another thing that people see the numbers change. The number keeps moving. But the, the thing is, is like sometimes it sounds like it's higher than other times and then lower than other times. So it's like, it, it's. You know, okay, I so. It, I thought it was so, 280 yeah. something, but go ahead. It's 286. You're correct. 286. Okay, 286. Okay, so all right, so fine. So that so just and the only reason why I asked that is because so you've got this 286,000 number of more mortality uh, mortality rate of dead uh, the death toll. Okay, um, but that doesn't take into account people that were in the hospital for a month. That doesn't take into account people that were on a ventilator for a month and they've lost 20 percent of their muscle mass. And they're in like, you know, they're alive. They've, they've, they've gotten past COVID, but they're a wreck. Uh, they're not in great shape. Um, you know, that, that, so that doesn't take uh, into account the people that, yeah, COVID didn't wind up killing them, but it put them in, in, in desperate straits um, health-wise and made them very, very ill. Um, you know, so it's... <sighs> You know, I mean, I mean, when you look at it through that lens, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it, it becomes a different thing. You've got this huge death toll for a year, but you've also got a lot of people that were driven into the hospital and, and, and were treated within an inch of their lives. Um, yeah. And so I think that just to have that perspective and to understand that, well, yeah, you know, you may be, you may get through this thing, but you may get through it, at, you know, at a significant cost. I mean, a physical cost through treatment. Um, and, and I think that that kind of is something that needs to be kind of just factored into the whole discussion. I was going to anecdotally say that, like, I have somebody who took the, the vaccine early. Mm -hmm. took, took, okay, so it's a double blind test. So she doesn't know that she got it. But at this point, she's pretty sure she works for a pharmaceutical uh she's a pharmaceutical agent basically so she she oh. does it all the time she's out there and delivering medicine to people all the time so she's she went up and she got it and she's totally fine and i'm like i know this is anecdotal evidence this is just one person 
but this person is in contact with a lot of people and and she's in Tennessee. So she's dealing with a lot of people who are not wearing masks. And she yeah. she rails about it all the time. You know, she she's extremely uh knowledgeable about all of this. So she she knows what she wants, but you know that you can't just persuade people to change their opinions. Now it's an opinion, even though it should be a scientific fact that masks work. It's for them, it's an opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I was gonna say, no, no, go ahead. When, if somebody were to take the vaccine out of curiosity, because I'm not, I don't, I haven't researched much because I told myself I'm gonna wait several months to see what happens, you know, but. You know, that's just me. You know, I'm going to definitely isolate myself and wear masks and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, I eventually will take the, the vaccine. Uh, my question is, okay, you take the vaccine. What happens if you come in contact with somebody? Do you just get less symptoms? Or is like, what's, what's, what's supposedly the effect of being in contact with somebody that does have it after taking the vaccine? What's supposedly what's supposed to happen? Like to that well, person, like if I were to take the vaccine and my f- best friend had uh, COVID, how would it affect me? Like, uh, you know, I, I know they don't have all the details, but would I get still get sick, but just not as as severely or is like any other vaccine would? Or I mean, like what? I don't know much of the details. Is that what? Is, are you, That's is a that detail that I don't. Maybe Richard, maybe you yeah. know a little bit more about that. Yes. Well, I mean, so so the way I understand it is, it's a two part, it's a two series shot. It's got a booster, and so the way I understand it is, you take the first series, you take the first shot, and the immunity is supposed to begin to develop, and you're supposed to get it's supposed to get you to like around fifty fifty. Um, and then the the second shot is supposed to get you to the point where you 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 have immunity, you have antibodies to to the virus. So, as I call, so I think that um, the the I think the idea is is that if you fall into the ninety five percent test group control group. Um, where the vaccine is effective, I think the idea is that you can't, you, you're no longer susceptible to the virus if you're within that 95% um, window. Uh, there's a 5% uh, group where this, uh, it will not be, I don't, and I don't know whether that means that 5%, it's not, if it's not effective for that 5% at all, or if it's less effective, I don't know exactly what that number means. But I know that the number that the numbers that they've been kicking around for both of the vaccines, both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, has been 95 percent efficacy. And I think that means that once you've gone over the month or six week process of getting the initial shot, getting the booster and allowing that, that it to all kind of build um, in your system, I believe it means that you're no longer vulnerable to the virus assuming you're in that 95%. And I think the only thing that they don't know is that they don't know if you can still pass it along. They just, okay. that as you won't get sick, but that's the only, that's the only question that they still have. And that's something that, you know, you need evidence. <laughs> you don't have evidence yet. Yeah. But I, I, but I'm pretty sure that the idea, and like I said, I mean, I don't, I don't, I hesitate on speaking with complete certitude with this because I'm not a scientist. I know what I've read. 
Um, and I and my my I think my sources are are solid, but I don't claim to know every fine nuance of this. But but I I do I do believe that as long as you're as long as you're kind of in that large majority for which this vaccine has been effective, um, the transmission rates are supposed to be you know go down to you know almost nothing. That being said, if you've got if you wear a mask and you cover your mouth and your nose yeah. and another person wears a mask and they cover their mouth and their nose and you practice six foot social distancing and you don't gather inside, those transmission rates go down to about 1.5% too. So, so I mean, okay. it's, it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's all a question of, you know, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to maintain? But I definitely have, me personally, I put more faith in a vaccine's ability to mitigate the spread of a virus than I do in the ability of human habits and human compliance to mitigate the, 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 the spread of a virus. Um, so that's where I'm at with that. I'm with you. No, <laughs> Definitely with you. Yeah. Human nature is uh, proven to me that they're kind of stupid. <laughs> like majority, like, you know, majority. we got a good percentage of people. I'm hearing like an echo, I think, from speakers or whatever. But um, uh, was I going to say the, the the human nature is definitely very suspect. <laughs> I, I think we're relatively educated enough. I think we were born in a time and in an, in an area where we kind of learned certain things and realized that you know. We have responsibilities on this planet and, and our families and other, you know, regarding other people. Some people that I feel like the isolation that some people have um, kind of gives them a reason to think that they could do whatever the hell they want. You know, the, the people that, you know, then again, there are also people that feel privileged and so on. It's, oh, it's impinging on my livelihood and my, and my lifestyle and so on and so forth. But it's... To me, I think it's it's how you were brought up and the type of people you're around that make you realize or allow you to realize that um, you have more to do on this earth and have more responsibilities in regards to your actions. And, you know, so a lot of people just never had that. I, I've, I've realized every day when I'm walking in the streets and I see how people, or if I go to a store, for instance, like Walmart, people, I don't know, the, the entitlement and... And the way that they were raised, it's just, it's sickening. I don't know, man. I, I'm going to throw in that I don't know if it's just how you're raised. I think that capitalism causes, especially corporatism, is like, I like to say that it's like the really the large form capitalism, like your Walmarts, your Home Depots. Um, it gives you this sense of security. And that sense of security is, isn't real, but it is something that is American. It's a very American thing to be like, I can I can do whatever I need to do because it's my freedom. And I I mean that's kind of what our last little clip, our little last cooldown clip is yeah. about. Yeah. Um what but I, I also saying, want to make sure that you Okay, go ahead. I was gonna say what Please. I was saying about raise, I, I meant more like in a sense of the how parents interacted with the children. You know, there are a lot of parents mm. that don't, you know, tell people, oh, behave yourself or da da da. You know, some people get physical before they actually explain why you should be acting a certain way. You know, uh, and, and they don't really learn the lesson. They might get smacked in the back of the head or beaten or whatever it is by their parents. 
they really don't understand it. And then there's also the whole environment of of just education in, in general. You know, education also teaches you responsibility. The, the schools that I've went to in, in, in the past, I wasn't the best student all the time, but I felt like there were certain people in my life that allowed me to, um, you know, see the difference between right and wrong. There's a, I, I live in Newark now. It's a huge difference on how these kids act from where I, when I grew up in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You know what I mean? There's, there's a big difference. And I grew up in a time where, where it was still developing. They were gentrifying my mother's neighborhood when I was a kid. I, like I said, I'm 44. So that was years and years ago. You know what I mean? And, and as it got better and better, like if you see it now compared to like 30 years ago, you're like, wow, you know, it's a big difference. Um, but I felt like the teachers and the environment kind of instilled some sort of common sense in people. And a lot of places, uh, I feel education and the lack of um, proper parenting, which isn't necessarily the parents' fault. Sometimes they got to work three, four jobs. Uh, maybe I'm exaggerating, but but to raise that child, I mean, nobody they, really should be working two jobs. So yeah, exactly. I mean, that's but it's, you know, you, we're but talking. You understand my point? It's like, you know, how do you teach a kid? Like my son's lucky; he's on honor roll. He's got a lot of. Uh, he was born in a tribe. You know, we lived in a three floor house with uh, his grandmother before she passed, the grandfather, uh, the two sisters of of his mother, his mother, myself. And, and, you know, just my, my family, you know, in New York. So in, in general, he had a lot of attention given to him to help him go on a, on a path. And we wanted him to develop into a person that knew they had to adapt to situations. My son doesn't want to tell me when he's having trouble in school learning something. He's like, I wanted to learn how to do this because I know I have to be self-sufficient. And, and, and to me, that's an honorable thing. It doesn't necessarily help him. If he needs help, you know what I mean? But, you know, I'm mm -hmm. happy to see that he at least acknowledges that and knows that. And not too many kids nowadays, they, they, you know, I'm a smart person. I might not be able to speak well sometimes. I might not get the words out of my mouth perfectly, but I know that I'm tech savvy. I know that um, I'm a relatively a creative person when, when I can be, you know, when I have the time to de dedicate things. And, and, and I know how to adapt to situations. I don't let situations stop me like today i'm exhausted i had like three hours of sleep i went to sleep at like six in the morning i had to wake up early in the morning to go do other things and i still came to do the show with you guys because i know it has to be done we have to you know in order to make a change we have to do things a lot of people don't get that a lot of people don't um understand the responsibility of that and when it comes to this virus they're like oh this is just a virus it's a cold this is this is not important to me i don't care i see people my uh Teresa's, um, Friend goes to hookah lounges and stuff. She he went away to I think Puerto Rico and was at hookah lounges and I'm like you're in helling things with other people. You're what? sharing it, yeah. You're yo, sharing I'm like, are you out of your effing mind? I'm like, yo, but that's the mentality. I don't want to stop what I'm doing. This is my life. One day I'll die. I only live life once. Okay, you're shortening your lifespan taking that chance. You might live, but you might kill your grandmother, or your your grandparents, or whatever, or your your cousins, or your your uncles, or your child, you know, what if your child has an illness and you bring it back home to your child? I'm like, you're crazy. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I could deal with it. This isn't prison. It's not like I'm forced into this. I'm choosing to do this. You know, a lot of people feel like, like we've heard in, in, in other things that we were talking about before, how people compare uh, this to slavery and, and, and jail and all that other stuff. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, there's a lot worse conditions in there. And those people 
are, are suffering from COVID too right now. So I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, it, it could be worse. You could have COVID in actual jail. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. You could be in jail, right? Jeez. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's a whole discussion. I actually, I've, I've held back that uh, discussion because I wanted to be with criminal justice reform. If we talk like I'll have a whole session about criminal justice reform, COVID-19 is killing prisoners by the thousands at this point. And it's a it's a petri dish. I mean, it's made to be a petri dish because we don't have sustainable criminal rights ju- like laws for these people. They they don't care how our our prisoners are kept. They would love to give them, you know, jobs at a very low rate so that they can serve the people somehow. But at the same time, you're never going to be you know honored again when you get out of the prison. And that's this kind of like a when you were talking about uh, reforming the police. That's a huge thing too because it's reforming the whole justice system and how we treat prisoners and all of that um i unfortunately we might need to release more people from prison just not in my backyard that's what people think right they're like not in my backyard keep them there keep them there i don't know like that's the mentality people have but if it was their child they'd be like oh please take them out please we don't want them to get sick and die in there you know it's like they don't understand yeah. because they, a lot of people don't like I've had when I did Uber driving, um, they don't understand like what other people go through in different uh, walks of life, the, lack of education, lack of um, proper housing, prop, you know, the, in different environments. We could like go for days of, with different topics in regards to how uh, unjust that things are for people, you know, how people don't have like the proper um, living conditions. And then when it comes to prisons, Oh, we don't want them back here. You know, the the, the whole uh, conservative um, mindset is law and order. We don't want those people going to, we'll keep the suburban wives safe. You know, like that was one of their talking points. I'm like, what? I'm like, but what? Is, like there's people that, 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 that were born in, in quote unquote suburban areas that went to jail too. You know, don't, don't act like, like people don't, I don't know, man. It, it's, it's, there's so many. It's hard. We're talking angles. about compassion too. Yeah. We're talking about compassion at the same time. And it's yeah. very difficult because our system is not made to be a compassionate system. But people, it's, made it's not to... just a system. It's the public, like the way they've made people in the public. It's like, like I, we literally have 50% of the country that has, I feel has no compassion at certain things. That they, they, whatever they feel is, is right is what it is, but they don't want to see outside of that box that, or that bubble that they're in. And, and it's, it's, it's scary because you still got to live with these people. Like you want to make these people's lives miserable. What's it going to do? There's a cause and effect for everything, right? Like if you don't give people food, shelter, uh, a decent job or whatever it is, what do you think these people are going to do? You don't want You don't want to give them that stuff, but you want things to be perfect for you. So what, you're going to just put them in jail and let them die. That's, that's the mentality. And, and for and most of these people are quote unquote religious people. And, and yet they're not willing to find, better more humane solutions to the problem which could be a lot easier by giving them jobs you know or 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 helping them eat like i like i i talked to you about the um driving in in newark that they find people for giving people uh money in the streets they they find yes. the the homeless person i think it's close to five hundred dollars and they find the 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 drivers i think i, I don't know if it was 50 or 100 i, I don't remember the exact numbers but it's ridiculous. You're gonna find me for trying to help somebody that needs help, and then you're gonna find the person that needs help 
like quadruple like 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 10 times as much money or whatever it is i don't I, I, maybe i'm exaggerating but the percentage i mean it's a, basically you're punishing the solicitor higher than you're punishing it doesn't even matter nobody should be punished for it anyway no, but it's, it's punishing the solicitor it's, yeah. it's ridiculous man and, and like I, I back in the days i didn't care i think a lot this society with, with technology like we were talking about earlier the patience of people and the the um the fact that uh people want things instantaneously they don't want to be bothered by things they want to they want this type of like like bubble but they want to be seen all over the place for whatever reason it's like a reverse crazy thing like everybody wants attention but they don't want to have to deal with anything you know what i mean like kind of mentality and then and then when it comes to other people it's like they could care less about it, it, it it's just i don't know man i, I it, it breaks my heart to think about what my son's future is going to be like if it keeps going in this direction it really does i actually I have a lot more faith and i have a lot more faith in the youth than i think i i i don't have faith in my own generation um i have a lot of faith what are they handing what, you, what are they gonna have it's one thing like we, i am not sure that is aggressive that is a aggressive fact. mentalities like i'm i'm a progressive i'm a democratic socialist you know my my my, my beliefs and at the end of the day i know what people everybody should have a, a level playing field i think all three of us here are very similar like-minded people in regards to what people deserve and what they should have at least as a starting point but they're not even allowing that now they're like they're not giving a stimulus and i get they're putting people that were in decent condition into the poverty um uh uh class cycle. or whatever yeah cycle or yeah. whatever so what is our ch children going to have what are, what are the opportunities they're giving people uh automated jo automated jobs um you know jobs where where less people are necessary it's scary man and 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 that's why i try to teach my son for instance um you have to adapt you have to like if you see a problem try to figure out a way around it you know what i mean a lot of people aren't taught that and i think that's more of that old school mentality i don't i think the new school mentality sees the problem but if you, excuse my language, if you hand them shit and you expect them to do something with that, you know what I mean? It's not going to, they, what are they gonna do with it? They can't do anything with, you gotta give them something so that they can build and, and, and create. And I feel like, yeah, the technology in some cases are there, but now everybody has it. So how do you get noticed? How do you do anything? It's, it's, it's I don't know, man, it, it's sort of like, the, the world running out of water you know they, they got the water on the stock exchange now and everything else yeah i know you've heard about that right the, the whole stock exchange yes, thing with the water that's, and everything. that's actually on sunday yeah so <laughs> we'll um, be talking know, about we'll, we will talk about that everybody but um but you understand what i'm saying it's like i feel like things are becoming depleted and instead of people acknowledging it like with the, the green new deal and all this other stuff they're like, oh, no, that's too expensive. Dude, you're not giving people money. You're giving corporations money. What are they going to do with it? These people are sitting on their asses doing absolutely nothing but counting their money. They're not going to build the roads. They're not going to help the environment. They're not going to do any of the things that are necessary. The youth sees what, what it needs. But if nobody's giving them the, the tools and the resources to do it, it's like it's, it's a, a mute point. You know what I mean? Like, it's a scary thought in my mind. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. How do you guys feel? I'm sorry if I'm bringing like some negative I, stuff. I, no, I'm just want to hear. I just want to hear what Richard feels. I I I feel less complicated about it because I don't have children, so yeah. it, it's more like I'm I I'm working for myself in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like to. I I would love to hear what Richard has what his thoughts are. Well, 
I mean, I don't have children either, so we're we're in the same boat yeah. on that. Um, you know, I mean, as far as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's it, the 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 components of kind of a, a a functional society are are in place. The question is, what are they going to look like? So, in other words, if you have an education system, we have an education system in place. What is that education system going to look like? We have um, we're going to have to manufacture, I think, at some point in this country again. Um, I think somewhere along the line, we got the idea that um, it wasn't great to work in a factory, that that was so that somehow there was some kind of qualification on labor, that if you um, uh, were, were uh, charged with maintenance or production or anything that you do with your hands or any kind of work in this way, that there was somehow a, a myth perpetuated that it was less than um, whatever the efforts were of a person that went to a, an office and sat in a, a desk and, you know, um, did, did, did work that was removed from that physical environment. And to me, I think that that's um, a myth that's time has come and gone. Um, I think that eventually we're going to have to have some kind of a production and manufacturing apparatus back in the country. What is that going to look like? Uh, hopefully it's going to be about making, you know, solar panels and wind turbines and, you know, great, highly functional electric cars for $5,000. And, you know, like, you know, hopefully it's going to be technology driven. Um, and, and driven by environmental consciousness and driven by, you know, progressive labor standards and policies. But the question that remains is what are people going to do for a living? Um, you, know, you know, we can't have a society of only consumers because eventually, A, you have nothing left to consume or what you do consume becomes of a standard that it's either undesirable or unsafe. But B, there has to be an economic base from which to interact with commerce. So, you know, it's great to, um, you know, have a company that makes uh, um, compact automobiles and is making hundreds of billion dollars in profit. But if nobody can afford to buy the product that you're producing, it becomes problematic. Um, you know, same, you know, the same thing, you know, with with, um, you know, toxic assets. And as far as banking is concerned, you know, it's all well and good to tell people, you know, that you're not going to restructure their loan, that you're not going to work with them as a customer, that you're not going to 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 engage in that process, and 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 if you and, and repossess or or uh, or um, foreclose on a house, but then you've also now got a house that nobody lives in, that's not producing any revenue for you as a corporate entity. And so what should that look like? Well, by the strict market, that bank, that financial entity, that financial entity should fail. That's by the strict, you know, edicts of pure capitalism and of the market. So what did actually happen in 2008? Well, the banks got their money 
always possible, right? They took the assets, mm -hmm. they seized the assets, then they got payment for the assets from the tax dollars of the same people that they foreclosed on and evicted from these assets. So, so I don't think that any of the basic infrastructure that we rely on as a society is going to crumble and go away. But what I do think is I think that it needs to be adapted in a way that it takes a symbiosis into account. You know, that, that, that there's, there's government and there's the market and there's people and these things have to coexist. And how, and how are they going to coexist? So to me, so to me, I'm, I don't claim to have the answer for that question, but I think that one of the main issues that we have right now is, is that we have limited outlets for our labor force and the labor force that we do have is exploited and undervalued. So there needs to be an, a, a balance between production and labor. And I think once we find that balance, I think the future will look a lot less scary. My thought on it. I, I agree with like yeah. ninety nine percent of that. The only problem I feel is is the people running the show don't seem to have a clue what the hell to do with it. Like I, like in regards to politicians and you know we we really need to um like like hopefully like I said with the show and like other things that we do as individuals. We need to help um, push people in a direction and other people, you know, maybe, you know, community driven to do exactly, you know, that to get people in a position where they can actually make these changes. Uh, I, you know, it's great to think that, uh, and I agree with you, we do need manufacturing jobs because we shouldn't be outsourcing. They've done it for so many years. That's what's kind of screwed us up right now with this COVID stuff. We could have had a lot of this stuff if we weren't expecting it to come in from China or wherever else. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, um, even if we start the manufacturing jobs, like the, the, the um, fact that uh, inflation or whatever it is, the, the, the fact that nobody has a living wage, you know, the, we have to fix those problems. You, you know, you can give these people, you know, $10 an hour jobs, but if the cost of living goes up, it's not really going to amount to much. You know what I mean? Because they're not going to give you but so much for, for manufacturing in theory, uh, especially if people can't consume. It's like, is it, they created a situation where there's a huge hole that we need to fill. And a lot of it has to deal with the people that are in charge. Like if Bernie, you know, in my mind, if Bernie would have accomplished what he did, wanted to do, um, we could have been in a really good place. I don't think Biden is necessarily going to uh, take us in that direction. I think he's going to give us some sanity back. But I, I think his, his mentality is very um, center right. Um, and, and that's not really going to benefit the people that are struggling right now. I mean, I, I know it's going to help some of them, but you know, a lot of people are going to fall through the cracks and, and that's scary. I hope by, uh, 2024, uh, we can have a big change in government, but it's going to take a lot, you know, a lot of people did. I don't know. It's scary. I think that, I mean, that's a, a complex argument about 2024 because 2024 could be, a a referendum on the people who are Trump supporters, actually, who are going to come out in a larger group, and we're not going to have a great candidate. But 
honestly, that's like that's a long form discussion about <laughs> about the no, politics of uh, the two parties. I'm just saying in general, like in regards to what we've been talking about, I just feel like, you know, that's where we have a huge dilemma is that we don't have it's like you want a professional handling what needs to be done. I feel like we have people that have their own agendas or they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Like I said earlier with Mark Zuckerberg asking him some stupid ass questions. Oh, why do you do this? And blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, everybody's doing that now. That's old. You know, like the information thing was for information, getting your information. It wasn't just to inform you. It was because they wanted your information so they can make money off of you. You know, but that, that's old. Like they, we've known that since AOL almost. You know, if they, if people can manipulate something then, they would have done it then. But now it's just easier. The technology is faster. They could scoop up things a lot quicker. They, they could do it in so many different fashions without you even knowing that it's happening. And, and, and those people are profiting. Those, those people that with that mentality, that, that, that uh, mindset, that can, that the intelligence enough to do that, can do that. But in regards to how much, what's the percentage of this country that's nowhere near that type of intelligence, has that intelligence, or is just like, like we said, they're consumers, but they don't really think for themselves. You know what I mean? They want to take things. I love my iPhone. I love this. I love that. It allows me to do all this amazing things. And it, and it's good for those that are creative and can adapt to situations. But what are the percentages of the of this country that are actually like that? And that's what scares me. I think that, like like Rich said, that, and, and everybody says, well, actually, um, it was you, Anthony, that said it. But I'm sure Rich feels it, too. And I feel it in some degree, too. The youth has a, a huge potential if you give them the tools. I just feel like, you know, we got people that don't want to give them mine, mine. I don't want you to have these tools because if I give you the tools, you're going to take what I have. That's the type of government I feel we're in right now that they, they, they're, they're penny wise and pound foolish. You know, they, they, they're looking at situations in the wrong, um, with the, the wrong lenses and, and, and we're screwed from it uh, because we got idiots that we elected I mean, I wouldn't even say they're idiots. They have their own agendas. They're smart enough to know what they're doing, but they don't see the the cause and effect of it. You know, and and I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, this of... is a good throw to the to our last to our last video because it's not just the government. I think you are right that it's not just the government. It is there are a certain segment of people who are willing to stay uneducated. Um, and the last the last video that we have definitely shows that. It this is it's kind of funny too. Let's just be honest. Which one is um? Which one? Uh, uh, I, apologize. I know we're jumping around, so I don't. I, I see the list of the stuff. Oh, VC sex. It's the last VC6. one. All right, let me know when you want me to put it on. Oh, go for it because this is just a laugh now. Because oh. in some way, you have to laugh at, at pain. Okay, cool. You we don't have the vibrational frequency to get COVID. Correct. Do you know that everything in this universe vibrates and is alive? There is life with that. That's what I'm talking about. I don't put life into COVID. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to wear a mask, mask either. There's I never wear a mask. mask. We're not going to wear them. Ever. Think... <laughs> Yo, man. Vibrational frequencies. That's yeah. where we're at. We're at. We're back at like um, an area of skepticism of science to the point of not even religion i would call this uh i don't even know what to call it you think you, it's not even hippie culture anymore at that point because there's it's just them believing in some kind of spiritual entity 
which is Donald Trump, it seems to be, in their opinion, will save them from an obvious thing that doesn't have a pandemic doesn't care about your feelings, doesn't care about where you are. It just wants to propagate. That's what a virus does. And they there's an uneducated part of our society. And I don't know how we defeat that kind of that's a lot like that's not an age group that I think I can that reach woman, by even if probably, I talk to them straight. Yeah, that woman's probably raising other children to think just like her. That's what's scary about it. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, God help us. Man. Like, I, I, I have faith. I have faith. I, I don't think it's going to happen, like, you know, God forbid, unless they, like, the world blows up or something. But I don't think it's going to happen immediately. But if we keep going this way, God forbid, man. Like, oh, God, I can't. I can't deal with these type of people. I, you know, like. I, I think I they'll, they'll at least, they'll, they'll disappear for a while. I don't know if forever. I, I remember the Tea Party. Yeah, they're still around. <laughs> I believe man. this is an, a subset of the Tea Party. This is a subset of the Tea Party, in my opinion. So um, let's see what happens in two years. Unfortunately, this is like the long haul, like where you're going to have to let these people go through their own mental loopholes of, of how Trump lost. Because sooner or later, they're going to have to accept it. Yeah, but Trump TV is not going to let them. Yeah, that's what's scary about it. He's coming back with a vengeance. He's going to be spewing his propaganda. Oh, God. Oh, my God. You know, and that's entertaining, and that's what they love. I don't, I don't get that, man. I don't get that. I, I, for the last four years, I feel good. Don't get me wrong. This is this type of thing to know that in a couple of weeks, he'll be gone, in theory. You know what I mean? But, like... Those four Richard, years. Richard, do you think he's going to be gone? <laughs> do you think he'll finally I, get out of there? I, I, I think as, as time progresses, I'm less and less worried about it. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think about two months ago, I was a heck of a lot more worried about whether or not, you know, what, what the election was going to look like. But, you know, as this, you know, this record voting, popular voting total came in and as the electoral votes came in and as his lawsuits have been dismissed now by the dozen um i'm i'm feeling much better um about you know the fact that um it, you know he doesn't seem to have a, a foothold on a on a coup or any kind of government overthrow or anything like that um so but yeah it was dicey there for a while there was a you know a two or three month window there before the election where yeah it was definitely in question i wasn't really sure how it was all going to play out but um i'm more and more comfortable that he's gonna that he's gonna feel about after how do you how do you feel about after he's gone do you think he's gonna go and disappear like the dodo or you think he's gonna come back with a vengeance like like that's the thing i'm afraid of like this seems to be um uh you know i don't know kind of a scary thing you know like i i think he's gonna u- utilize whatever bs that he's spewing now and, and for the next four years say he was robbed and you know like i that's i don't know you know and you well, know i i no man no, I was just gonna say I, I think he's gonna try to capitalize on any hustle that he can. And I think that for him the presidency is was a really good hustle. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, and he, and he's, and he's still making money off of it. He still, you know, has people uh, giving him money. Um, so the question to me is not whether or not he's going to hustle and run a sideshow and do his thing. I'm sure he will. The question is, where are we going to be as a country? And is his, you know, rhetoric and, and all that he's trying to do going to gain any traction? And hopefully, you know, hopefully it's not. Hopefully he's, you know, going to have less and less traction and less and less of an audience. And that's why it's 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 incumbent upon the Biden administration to uh, be as successful as it possibly can in real terms. Um, because I don't think that we do want to open up a window where, you know, I mean, if he can, if he can collect tens of millions of dollars from his followers, um, under the guise of I'm going to run for president again in 2024, he will, he'll collect that money and he'll use it for whatever he's going to use it for. Um, you know, you know, so I have no doubt that as long as he still feels like he can get something monetarily out of this, that he's going to do it. The question is, are the American people going to care and are and are and are they going to are they going to, you know, you know, think of him as a viable option um, uh, to be put back at the levels of power, hopefully yeah. the levers of power, I should say, hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't have yeah, that's basically where I'm at it <laughs> at it too. So I guess we should uh wrap up for the day cuz we've been we've been at it. We had a this is a good discussion that we had about technology and covid. Um we pulled a good 2 hours right there. Uh so I want to say thank you for joining us today. Uh we're oh, looking to you, just Rich. grow continuously. Yes, so Richard and Yeah, I just want to make sure to say thank you to Richard too. Uh thank you for joining us.